0: What's going on, everybody? Hi, it's Tuesday. It is still October, for now. I am Jeff Gerstmann, and this is the Jeff Gerstmann Show. Welcome. Anything is possible in the Jeff Gerstmann Show. Welcome to you from me, Jeff Gerstmann. Hello. We're here to talk about video games. At all, you know what? What else is? What else is happening? I'll tell you uh th- this is a interesting week in terms of um the balance of uh talking about playing video games and uh news about video games where this is this is the week that I feel like the the cr- the the everything tilted and now suddenly there's like oh there's like a bunch of games to talk about and then news is a little light I guess is how that uh is how that sort of works out. Um, we're coming up on Halloween, of course, and um, that means I am getting that much closer to someone saying, hey, why don't you put on the Kristoff costume that we bought for you so that we can go out and do Halloween stuff. Um, been dodging it pretty well <laughs> so far. Um, no, I don't, you know, I uh, Halloween's cool. I don't know. Uh, Halloween's for kids, and that's, uh, and that's and that's why it's cool that like Uh, we're kind of back into Halloween now because we got kids and, uh, I think you get to a certain age and you age out of Halloween, you know, I don't know, like what I, not to pass judgment, but to pass judgment. When I see people, uh, in, let's say my rough age that are really excited about Halloween because they want to dress up and get drunk. It's just, just get drunk. just get drunk. Don't get, you know, you have to get dressed up. Or just get dressed up, whatever. I don't know. Like I, I think people being into cosplay means that there's just a lot of opportunities around the, the clock to get dressed up as whatever, whenever. And uh, I don't think you need a holiday for that. So I guess I, what I what I'm saying is we need to normalize people just fucking dressing up all cool and just doing their thing. You know what I mean? Like we we should, man. Fashion sucks and societal expectations about what people wear and when is uh, is unfortunate. And uh, when I see people that are just like, fuck it, I'm to do me and they are they are going for it and living. Then like I am um, I am all for that. You know, you want to put more fucking like I I don't want I want like a fuck a chain wallet. I just want random chains hanging off your pants. Just just chain up, fuck it. You know if that's if that's what you're you want your
1: style, go. Let's all go get trip pants. Is what I'm saying. I was uh, I
0: I you know I was at the diner. We went out. To, we 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 took the family out to a diner for
1: breakfast, and um. I think I may have mentioned this last week, um, but there were multiple men there who were wearing jean shorts. And it was a real roller coaster of
0: emotions for me. Because on one hand, I was like, fuck, yes, bring back jean shorts. It is time, it is beyond time. We need to fucking make these jean shorts fucking happen. Let's go. I got rid of most of my jean shorts, but I know that there's at least one fucking pair around here somewhere. And then I looked at the guys that were wearing the jean shorts and I was like, no,
1: these guys just
0: I don't want to get lumped in with these I don't want to get lumped in with these guys. I've you know, and that's 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 you know, maybe that's a maybe that's a shitty attitude for me to have, but it was definitely a feeling of just like Eh, if these guys are, if these are the guys that are wearing jean shorts, I don't want to throw in with them.
1: You know, these guys look like they. Well, uh, yeah, I, I do look like guys I want to throw with those guys. But um, yeah, they looked like assholes, not because of the jean
0: shorts. In some ways, I wanted, you know, like a, you almost want to approach them and be like, "You
1: don't deserve to wear these." Um, they looked like guys that would like if you, they would have a a
0: a passionate but highly misguided conversation with you about what defund the police means, if you know what I mean. Um, and I was just like, "Oh man, these fucking guys
1: look like absolute dicks." Um, and so. So I don't, I don't, <laughs> don't want to throw in with those fucking guys. Um, but yeah,
0: so, so it, it's, you know, I I don't know what, I don't think the gene, I don't know that the gene shorts revival is going to happen. Um, unless they get real big. I think that's the, that's the only way to do it is they can't be these like tight, uh, straight legged jean shorts. We've got to fucking flare them out. We've got to fucking go. Hog fucking wild! So there can be no mistaking that we are uh, that we are about that life. I want. I uh, if 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 I'm going to be wearing and I've never owned a pair of Jinkos, but I uh, I bought a lot of very large long shorts, not comically big, because I think at some point it just becomes clown wear, and that's not my thing. If that's your thing, awesome. Dress up like a fucking ridiculous clown. I I think that can that can be a look. On the right people, that could look real
1: good. But Violet J, Shaggy Tudo. Just giving examples here. Um. A tastefully large jean short. Uh that still have pockets big enough to hold a 40 in them. But are
0: not just like ba-bam all the way out, you know? Like that's. That's not what I'm looking for out of a, out of a jean short. And and I've never been, uh, that's never been, uh, that's never been what I've been after when it comes to jean shorts. And so, yeah, I don't know. These are the thoughts I've been thinking since that trip to the diner. Um, and, and I, I saw those guys and
1: just, it was like, I felt my soul being torn out, you know? um, yeah, that's a uh,
0: Mike in on the on the Twitch chat over here says if you can't carry F-40, a forty of King Cobra in your pants, you don't want them. Yeah, exactly. I want O E. Period. That's it. It didn't, it didn't wear out of shorts. Just I I I was scrolling through TikTok and there was a, a girl on there who had a tall can of Old English and she was like, "I'm gonna drink this." I don't know. I've heard I've heard people say it's bad. She's drinking. She was like, "This is good. This is just a beer." And She was like doing a taste test of Old English. And I just nodded and smiled and said, Yes. <laughs> um, but also it maybe want to
1: get a hold of some 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 malt liquor, which is maybe not. Maybe I don't. Maybe I don't need malt liquor. <laughs> maybe maybe no
0: one. Maybe no one needs malt liquor in their life in this day and age. But what are you gonna do? First you get the jean shorts, then you get the malt liquor, then you get the power. This is America. Look it up. Um, yeah. So I don't know. We're we're getting ready for Halloween. We went and got a pumpkin last weekend. Went out to, um, went out to a pumpkin patch locally, invited by the Drakes. Went out there and saw them and some other other folks that were there with them and. and Uh, took a whole bunch of pictures of the kids on hay bales and, and all that sort of stuff you know i used to i used to spend quite a bit of time around hay bales and building hay tunnels and tunnels and bales of hay and all that sort of stuff and i don't know it's weird seeing just like here's 12 bales of hay stacked up so you can take some photos on it like yeah okay i guess yeah um but I don't know, they put on a big old show to the point where it was like on weekends it's a little bit intense. There's just so many people there. But they have like pig races and all kinds of crazy shit. We did not stick around and catch the the pig races um, because the the kids have like real, real. there's time limits on how long you can be out with these kids. You know, I, the, the boy is, what is he, 13 months, 14 months, something like that. My daughter's just about three and a half. So they got a couple hours in them before they're just like yeah, we want to eat food. We want to get the fuck out of here. We want to go somewhere else. So we this is yeah. So um, <clears throat> I took my daughter yesterday uh, in the morning to a local like it's out. is they call it a mall but it's mostly outdoors and that's not a fucking mall as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, we went there before they opened and um, you know, th- these things used to just be out in front of supermarkets, but they had a, a, a weird area where this had five tiny little toy vehicles where you're like, oh, get in the fire truck, and then put a bunch of quarters in it, and the fire truck will will vibrate for a minute and a half. Um, they had a helicopter that would go up and down, so I, just, I drove my my daughter out there because my, my wife was there shopping with her the other day, and she fell in love with these machines. And so I'm like, okay, let's go back out there. So like, I'm there at like, I don't know, 9.15. Mall doesn't open until 10. And we're <laughs> just out there, just like, Hanging out was like, yep, get on this, get on this helicopter. I'm going to strap you in with this very not safe strap. And then I'm going to stand here while it goes up and down and go, Ugh. Uh, 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 uh. um, we went and did that. <laughs> that was a good time. Uh, but like they had five of these things. They had, what do they have? Fire truck, submarine, helicopter, motorcycle, and car. And, uh, each one runs for a dollar. So you got to get a dollar and quarters and and pump them into these things and the helicopter worked and the car worked everything else was just like nah fuck you this is our money now uh but my daughter didn't seem to notice she she had the most fun in the fire truck even though it it didn't do anything except for like it would just a a the sound of children's laughter would emanate from it every you know minute and a half three minutes whatever it was and um it was haunting at a point You're just like, (laughs) just like, I imagine it's supposed to like make kids look over and go like, Ooh, fire truck. Um, And uh, the submarine had a, you know, an, a wooga noise, you know, like, like that, which makes sense. It's a submarine gray lady down, all that stuff. But something about the fire truck just being like the laughter of children. Look at the fire truck. Kids, don't you want to be on the fire truck? Listen to the fun that has been had by the children whose souls are trapped inside the fire engine. You can put a dollar of quarters in here. It will not do you any good. This fire engine does not function as a fire engine. Yeah, it was weird. I don't know. Um, and then we left and got breakfast sandwiches, so that worked out pretty well. All that's to say... It's been a a busy, it's been a busy chunk of time. And, uh, we have a pumpkin. I, we, uh, the the pumpkin, we're going to have to carve this pumpkin at some point, I'm imagining. I think pumpkins are disgusting. I don't want to eat pumpkin. I don't want to eat pumpkin seeds, generally speaking. I don't like pumpkin spice. Um, I think, I think the taste of pumpkin, I think the smell of, I think when you cut open a pumpkin and you're getting the goop out of it, it just, it's just this, stinky creepy goo i just i just don't fucking like pumpkins i just don't fucking like pumpkins and then you put fire inside of them and then lightly toast the insides of a pumpkin which makes them stink even more and then they begin to rot and then you throw them in the street and stomp on them or i guess you throw them in your yard waste bin if you want to be all fucking not a hoodlum about it but um Yes, no, I'm aware that pumpkin spice is not made from pumpkin. It's like whatever nutmeg, whatever it is. But I, I also I also don't like that. Uh I think pumpkin pie is disgusting. I think pumpkin pie is fucking disgusting. Uh
1: it just the absolute worst. So I don't know. Um just just yeah, just, just night
0: nightmare tastes and smells uh around the Halloween season that unless you're <clears throat> but I do like candy corn. So it's 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 a trade-off. You know what are you going to do? You're going to put up with those the creepy stink of pumpkins, maybe get your hands on some candy corns and, you know, I don't know, a Reese's peanut butter cup or seven. I'd do it. I I do I do in fact do it. And I do in fact do this. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about God of War Ragnarok, a game I have played some of. Uh, as well as a handful of other video
1: games that I have played some of. So stay tuned, and we will be right back. This episode is brought to you in part by Backblaze. Backblaze makes backing up and
0: accessing your data astonishingly easy. Let's talk about it, okay? You're not backing up your stuff. I know you're not. You're screwing this up. You need... To back up your data. And now there are a billion different ways to tackle this problem. You can make it a weird, complicated, crazy thing. um, Or you can do what I've been doing for several years and make it very easy with Backblaze. Now, Backblaze is unlimited backup of your Mac or PC for just $7 a month. You can back up whatever, docs, music, photos, videos, drawings, whatever projects you got, all of your data can be backed up to somewhere else on the internet via Backblaze. And you can access that data from anywhere in the world. They've got a web app. They've got all, you know, just ways for you to get your files back. I've had this happen a handful of times over the years. You know, hard drives, they just like to blow up, right? I mean, you know, you you, you put a hard drive in a computer, it's a ticking time bomb. You give it another five, six years, eventually you're going to hear some weird clicking noise. I'm like, oh man, I guess this one's going bad. I have turned to Backblaze to download terabytes of data uh that have that have gone missing locally once a uh, once a hard drive has you know in one case literally went up in smoke it was very weird like i was like okay there is smoke coming out of that device it's not i am not going to get my files off of that anymore and uh backplace has a variety of ways to get your data back of course yes there's that web app you can go and say like okay i need okay what am i looking at here my f drive i need this stuff and send it to me and they'll zip it all up and let you know when it's ready and all that sort of stuff but if you're backing up crazy data because this again this will back up your entire machine you got a windows machine you got a mac machine like it's the, it'll it'll back it all up all of it you know uh no matter what you got on there you can also have them send you a hard drive they've got a a a program where they will send you a drive with your data on it you copy that data off. You send it back to them within 30 days. It's kind of like, a you know, you they you pay up front. In case, in case, and if you want to keep the hard drive, you know, you can probably just do that. Um, but you send the drive back. You get a full refund. You got your data. You got everything you need. In my cases, it's like, I know I kind of need a lot of this data today. So I'm just going to start going and getting it. Uh, they also have retention history. So if you're overriding files and you're like, I need older versions of a project, you can upgrade for an extra $2 a month. And that retention history becomes one full year. They have restored over 55 billion files. You can feel safer today knowing that your data is just being continually backed up and taken care of. And, and you can you can switch that part off and go like, okay, the, the data is getting, getting taken care of. And, and I'm, I'm safe if anything crazy happens. They've got a free, fully featured, no credit card required trial. And you can get in on it right now at backblaze.com slash Jeff. Make sure you visit backblaze.com slash Jeff so that they know where you came from and they know they know what you're into. You know what I mean? That's a 15-day, no credit card required free trial at backblaze.com slash Jeff. Go there, play with it. You install the app, um, and you can set all kinds of limits if you're like, okay, look, I, I use my internet connection during these hours, so you can't. So don't back anything up between here and here because I need that bandwidth or like, hey, just, just only back up when I push this button. Um, it, it'll warn you if it's like, Hey, you haven't backed up in seven days, 14 days, whatever it'll, it'll pop up and say like, dude, let us do our thing. And, uh, you know, you can, you can let it do its thing. Uh, I let that stuff just run continually and, uh, and try to stay as backed up as possible. And like I said, it is, it is literally saved my ass multiple times at $7 a month. No gimmicks, no gotchas, nothing like that. Uh, you can pay a little bit extra if you want some extra retention history, all that sort of stuff. You can restore via the web. You can restore by mail. They'll send a, a flash drive or hard drive or whatever to your door to get that data back. Get your stuff. Keep it safe with Backblaze. Thanks so much to Backblaze for sponsoring
1: the podcast. Go to backblaze.com slash Jeff for more details. Okay, here we are back to talk about
0: video games. God of War Ragnarok is a video. It's coming out soon. It's coming out quite soon. I don't don't actually have the release date in front of me. It was was like November 8th or something. I'm just making it. I'm just literally pulling numbers out of the air. November 8th? I don't know. God of War Ragnarok coming to the PlayStation 5. 9th. Okay, it was off by a day. I'm that damn good. November 17th, that's a day that video games come out on. See, when you start to build your life around Black Friday being the day when all... Spending that many years of like, well, all these games come out by Black Friday, so that means the the Tuesdays of those weeks ahead of that are going to be real hectic with game releases back when everything just came out on a Tuesday, which also is, traditionally speaking, why this podcast airs on a Tuesday. Um... But you, you get to a point where you're just like, okay, well, I mean, the 17th is going to be a big 1117, 11, 1111. 11, like, you know, just every year slightly different. Uh, the numbers of November, I don't know. 1117, for some reason, gets burned into my brain. It's just like, that's a big day for video game releases. But anyway, um, the calendar, how does that work? God of War Ragnarok. Doesn't care how the calendar works because the world's going to end. I don't know. I, they uh, they've Sony sent this out a while ago. They sent me one. Um, I have to say that that's a, it's a weird. Um, Sony is the only company that is very adamant about um, the kind of like influencer disclosure rules. And now that I'm out on my own, they sent me a big thing, being like, "Hey, if you just say." And, uh, you know, I want to write back and be like, actually, every time that we've talked to a lawyer about any of this stuff, it's like... Well, I don't know, whatever. Like, more disclosure is better than less disclosure, right? But I guess the... What I would say about disclosure on this stuff is... I would rather tell you I have purchased exactly two games since June, since I started this thing, which I I think I mentioned last week, are Splatoon 2 and Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Uh, And I also... Paid for my PlayStation Plus membership upgrade thing to whatever their high tier thing is to check that stuff out. Um, You know, uh, and and I think people generally assume that um, I am receiving games from publishers on a pretty regular basis, which is in fact the case. But anyway, that's a long-winded say of saying, uh, you know, that when you see people on Twitter saying, like, with their like hashtag provided by PlayStation or, or whatever, you know, like, like Sony is very, very adamant about that sort of stuff. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know. So, so anyway, they sent a code over for God of War as many publishers have sent codes over for, for games. Um, and uh so, so they've also tried to, they, they've got an early impressions embargo that was up last week, um, or roughly the first five hours of the game. I have not had time to put a full five into God of War because when it came in, I was in the middle of playing Gotham Knights and shaking my head at it. Um, and I, I had to keep playing Gotham Knights and shaking my head at it to just go like, uh, uh, but we'll, we'll talk about Gotham Knights in a little bit here. Um. I, the, the previous God of War, I think is a really, you know, it's, it's the, it's the type of game that Sony is really good at making. It's the landmark achievement for that. Like you look at it and go like, wow, there's like so much technical mastery on display here. Like there's, there's just a ton of, um, there's, there's a ton going on here. You have like, you put a lot of time into the tiniest animations and, and all this other stuff you have, you have put a layer of, of polish, if you will, on this game that, uh, most games don't get. And, um, you know, you have made another cinematic style prestige style, single player video game in the way that you often do. And, and I think that (laughs) from what I could tell, God of War Ragnarok is one of those. Um, but the previous God of War, I don't know. I played a bunch of it. I got about halfway through it and I just got completely burned out on, playing it like just the the story did not motivate me to continue playing i i really got fed up and and bored with the the child's story and all of that sort of stuff i just i was just like man i super don't i i you know it was like i was having an okay time the combat is fine but also i feel like it, it got really repetitive on me so about halfway through the previous god of war i was just like hey i'm super done with this uh it, from every angle i am done looking at this video game and and i stopped so um so i don't know yeah I, god of war ragnarok it picks up where that game left off you know and it looks fantastic you know every scene the transitions in and out of cut scenes all of that sort of stuff you're like you know you're in the early parts of the game, you're tracking Atreus through the snow and looking at the way the snow moves and all that other stuff. You're like, man, this is this looks fantastic. The first boss fight in that game, you're fighting a big-ass bear. Um, it's, it's not even a boss fight. It's really a tutorial more than anything else, but you are fighting a big-ass bear, and you're like, this is an amazing-looking bear. It is beating the shit out of Kratos. And look at this. Holy smoke. Like it, it's it is incredibly impressive stuff. Um and I think the combat is I I'm so far I'm having a pretty okay time with the combat because the heavy attack is a launcher. And so when you hit R2 for that heavy, you'll just pop a guy up in the air and then you can just juggle him for a while and and then they're dead. And um and I'm having, you know, that that's that's fun. Look, like, launchers and juggles are fun in video games. I don't care who you are. Um that stuff is all super cool. And you can still do all the stuff of throwing the axe and then hitting the button to make the axe come back like you, you know, you you look at it but but also you're still walking around and going like, "Ah, yes, more hack silver for me." Uh and and all of that sort of stuff too. So, you know, at least in the early goings here, um it feels like it's picking up exactly where that game left off. Um and that seems like something that is going to excite a ton of people for me i'm looking at it going like i want to see more of this because i want to see if it is it is gonna be you know a a dramatic change from the gameplay angle but my understanding is is that i i I don't think that's gonna end up being the case it's it's kind of you know hey we we made another one of these and it is even prettier because you know we were able to build it for the playstation 5 in a lot of ways and, and all of that sort of stuff and um yeah I'm not sure how there for it i am the The other thing I'll say is that one of the early cutscenes kind of the first kind of story characters you know like At- atreus is uh you know he's he's like what he's like a young teenager or something by this point, and he's very antsy he wants to get out into the world and and figure out what the heck he is and when when what it all means and and Kratos being Kratos is very much like no no idiot, we're gonna stay here and hide and until you're ready because you've got crazy powers and we have no idea what you're even capable of and you are super fucking out of control and so i think his desire is like all right let's hang out here and figure out what the fuck you are and then of course that is not something that is going to last uh that's i don't i i've not played enough of the game to know that for sure i just you know how the how this is going to work out right uh is you're going to end up uh traversing the world and all this other stuff and learning it on the way and um it's uh I think it's a pretty good setup. I think, man, there is a character, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, because I didn't finish the first game, like I don't really have the context for like, if these characters are spoilers or not, or, or or whatever, but you know, being that it's literally in the first like 45 minutes, um, you, you meet up with, uh, a couple of characters pretty early on, a couple of God, you, you, you talk to Odin, and Thor, uh, real quick there. And basically they roll up on you and are like trying to cut you a deal and everything about Odin, the way he's written, the way his, his voice, his, his dialogue, all this stuff is just like, Hey, come on, let's just, you know, let's just do that. We'll forget this. I'll handle this for you. You fucked up some shit for me. But let's just hey, let's do this and do this and we'll just fucking call it even, okay? All right? You and me, we're on the same page here. Like the way he is written is just like uh fantastic. Uh and both of those guys, I think just you know they 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 show up and just like boom, hey, what's up? Um and and I think it's a a really awesome conversation and the way that those characters are written did more for me in terms of making me want to play the game. Than pretty much anything in the first game, and so there's there's definitely uh, there's there's definitely a part of that that's like okay I, I this kind of has its hooks in me a little bit, um, and so there there is that is that is the thing that is probably going to keep me going is to see like hey is how how good is the writing across these other characters because like the interactions between Kratos and Atre- Atreus I I'm not i I don't like it there there are differences here because atreus is older than he was certainly in in the the first parts of that first game um and but like that aspect of the game the the atreus Kratos interactions i'm not i i don't i did not like them it's part of what pushed me away from that first game, and so the closer this game kind of hems and, and hues to to kind of that style of thing I, I'm not that is probably going to actively push me away from the game, depending on how that stuff goes. But it's interesting, right? Because, you know, now, now that we're, we're, we've done that full game, you know that Atreus has got some fucking crazy shit going on. And so there's like a, a shift in the balance of power now, where you, you've got Kratos being a little bit like, uh, like he's not that he's scared of his own son, but there's parts of it that you're just like, you can tell that he's just like, all right, this fucking kid. He's dangerous in a whole different way now um and and so like that those interactions are different because again, atreus is a little bit older um he's a little bit older, meaning he's a different type of asshole right he's a he's a young teen asshole now than uh instead of all that sort of stuff, so um is this still under the first five hour embargo? I mean, I haven't even played on an hour of this game, so yes, I'm gonna go ahead and say yes because this is going to be all stuff that is going to happen probably to you in the first 30 minutes of the game. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I, I haven't had time to play up to that full, full five hour mark. I will play more of it, uh, for sure before the game comes out. Cause there's a whole separate review embargo and, and, and all that other stuff. But, um, 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 yeah, I don't know. Like there are definitely interesting things about the way the characters are written, but it like so far the only thing the only thing about it that's making me want to keep playing it is the is that writing and 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 how those other characters are written and and seeing how some of that stuff goes and seeing how some of those other characters are portrayed, how frequently they are in the game, all that sort of stuff. But if it is just big brooding Kratos and his weird godson out doing weird god things as a son, god, godson might do. Not godson, but son god. You know what I mean. A god who is a son who is a god, son of a half of a god, whatever Kratos' deal is. Um, like that stuff has uh, certainly has potential as far as I'm concerned. Uh, But yeah, I'm not, I'm not like immediately because I got so so. Uh, Done with that first game like I, I'm not exactly like jumping at the chance to to dive back into that world but at the same time like you know every aspect of it seems like incredibly well done uh Zavid says do you feel any different about Kratos and Atreus now that you're a father no no I the the only thing that's ever the only thing that hit me differently after having kids that I've run into so far was the baby stuff in death stranding and the like it and and that was very specifically because um my daughter was very young at the time and was crying a lot at the time and so like the last thing i wanted was fucking a bunch of artificial crying coming out of a fucking controller like i deal with this enough um, but the, but also the way that story handles all that baby stuff is super creepy and fucking gross. So I, I don't know, like I, that, that stuff was just kind of shitty on its own. I don't know that I necessarily felt it any differently as a father beyond like, I don't need to hear a controller crying. I'm too busy listening for real crying in case I need to get up and go like, look at a kid. So... Um, so no, I, you know, I don't know, like, I'm sure th- there will be things about being a father that I will feel a certain type of way about. And when that stuff appears in fiction, blah, blah, blah. But like nothing about the Kratos Atreus relationship feels any different to me now that I, especially like now that I have a, a two kids, now that I have a son, I guess, um, I've had a son since that first game came out. Um, you
1: just, it just, here's another story being told. I don't know. But, um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I think that that game is, uh, you
0: know, they are are very much looking to finish telling that story. That was maybe the most exciting thing I've heard about God of War Ragnarok is that it is not the, it, it is supposedly not the middle chapter in a trilogy, that it is more of like, this is us concluding the story started by the previous game. I think that's cool we don't get a lot of games that are just like, it's two of them <laughs> and we've told our story that just doesn't happen. So, um, so hearing that, that, that is apparently the case that, that is really interesting to me. Um, in terms of like how this story will be told and, and how, what, what might happen over the course of this game? Because if you think about it in terms of like, well, it's definitely the part of a planned trilogy and all that sort of stuff. Um, um, it, it that really starts to set up what you think might happen over the course of this game and, and the type of types of cliffhangers you might get left on and, and and all of that sort of stuff so so hearing that that might not be the case not to say that they you know obviously they'll they'll probably make another God of War again maybe someone's developing one right now who can say but uh there's plenty of Uh, yeah, I mean, there are plenty of other ways to have a God of War story that doesn't necessarily have to continue where this one left off, right? So I think that's kind of cool that, uh, that this apparently wraps up a lot of that story. Um, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to it. Like I've, I've mostly, I've mostly cleared out most of the other stuff I am playing. And so God of War is kind of like next on the, the, the menu here. So I'm going to be diving into it a little bit more over the course of this week. To, um, you know, to have more to say about it once reviews start to hit, I suppose, is how that works. Um, Of course, I'll be taking a break at some point for Bayonetta, which I don't don't currently have a copy of, but I'm very interested in seeing. Um, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 is, like, out, but not out, but partially out. This is a weird scenario. That I think is mostly worked out for them, I think. I don't know. Like, you never hear anyone really talking that much about the campaign in a Call of Duty game. But by putting the campaign out a week early and making it the only thing people can play... um, I don't know. I wonder if that means more people are playing it. I'd be curious to see what that does for their numbers. I finished the Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 campaign.
1: Played through that whole thing. And... um, we streamed a little bit of it last week. I was pretty far in at that point. It is
0: fascinating. And it is the I'm gonna say it's the, it's the best campaign they've done since probably the the previous Modern Warfare. It might be better than that game. I'd have to go back and kind of reread like what happens in that game because the the big moments of that campaign kind of just I, I don't really remember all that well at this point, but this game is just paste and and the writing and the way all this stuff is built. You know, I, I think a lot of people go into these campaigns and, and sure enough, a handful of people going like, ah, what's, what about the war crimes? What about the, what, tell me about the war crimes. And, and sure enough, yes, the, um, the, yes, the, I guess the, the, the screenshot, the animated gif that made the rounds on this one is, uh, aiming at civilians, aiming your gun at civilians to deescalate them. Which, uh, out of context, seems like a fucking insane thing because you've got people running out of their house and go, what the fuck are you doing? And then you point a gun at them and they go, oh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 (coughs) yeah. In context there, you are in the middle of chasing after an Iranian terrorist that has been smuggled into Texas by a Mexican drug cartel. And you are Mexican special forces, and you have also jumped over the border to
1: chase after this guy. And so, it's not quite the... They muddy it up. And they,
0: they, they muddy it up in a way that makes the... the You can't quite look at this. Because you, you see that, and you go like, oh here it is, more American army guys porting guns, at sort of stuff, and and instead they're like, hmm, no, it's Mexican special forces, and they're hunting a terrorist, and they're doing this, and they've muddied it up in a way that gives them, I think, a little bit of wiggle room, or or, or finds ways to, when you describe the full context, it kind of leaves you going like, oh, huh, hmm, hmm. Well, I am less certain how I feel about that, but they are not... Th- they are not making a game that is designed to be critical of like the military industrial complex or anything like that right i mean this is this is an action movie they have built this thing the way michael bay build fucking bad boys you know or bad boys 2 you know this is the fast and furiousization of a call of duty campaign um just think about how call of duty campaigns used to be uh, back in the original modern warfare 2 especially they they did this where like the theater would change you'd be like oh we're going to show a scene that's happening in America right now or here's a scene that's happening in the Middle East right now and they would start the next mission and they would have to tell you who you're playing as like okay you're playing as this sergeant whatever and then he's going to die in this mission spoilers haha because the nuke went off or you know whatever Um and, um, so the, the, the way they do it here is the way that it is more like a movie where you solve a mission and you get the next breadcrumb trail. It's just like, well, we didn't catch him here. Oh, we got a hit though. We got, we think he's in Amsterdam or we think he's in, you know, this country or, oh, he, wait, wait a minute. He's in Mexico. And then it just fades down, fades back up. Same fucking dudes boots on the ground in Mexico going like, let's get this fucking guy and so it just becomes the the more like you know they they've taken another layer of realism out of it right because now it's really about your crew your extended crew now because you've got these mexican special forces guys who are interesting characters in the in the story uh, along with soap and ghost and price and you know laswell the other people that appeared in the previous game and, and all that sort of stuff like it just becomes like a born identity fast if you just like you know it, it just becomes even more of an action movie and I think from that specific angle they pull it off incredibly fucking well and I think if you judge it up against the plots and stories and beats of most action movies I think that they they have done a favorable job of building one of those. The the catch is that it bogs down quite a bit. Um Twisted Operator in the chat says sounds like it's about family. Yeah, kinda actually Actually, in a weird way, this game kind of is about Task Force One Four One as a family, um, and less so as instruments of a specific nation, uh, and and all that sort of stuff. So I, this is this is going to get into spoiler territory a little bit here, I guess, um, because it is it is kind of a it this is an interesting twist that I think it, it, this is the sort of thing that may end up. Um, I wonder if this will end up being the thing long term that causes a, sh- a shit storm because like right now that de-escalation stuff is the thing is the thing kind of that people are, are talking about but like this game has a pivot point about two thirds of the way through where basically an American PMC that you've been working alongside for a while basically turns on you and then you spend, like, the rest of the game smoking Americans. <laughs> like, there's this is like, like you are fucking mowing down these PMC fuckers. Uh, you are like Mexican special forces taking back your prison and fucking smoking these fucking guys. Um, And fucking, like, not, you're like, hey, Captain Price, you're in a helicopter, right? Can you blow these fucking guys up? And he's like, absolutely, mate. Blah, 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 blah and and so i wonder if that will end up being the thing that um conservative news or something like like if something like that ends up ends up picking up on that end of the story and it is pmcs it's not it, they are they are very clear to 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 do that sort of thing anyway so it uh, as i said it ends up muddying the muddying the politics of it enough to where you're like, okay, like I side with the guys that I am playing as, as playable characters, because like as much as they are doing out there doing horrible shit, um, they're doing horrible shit for freedom, (laughs) you know? Um, and, uh, it's, it's a interesting twist, an interesting turn over the course of that game that, um, that yeah, I th- I think they they make it. Uh, it I'm not going to sit here and say they make you think. It's just not that, but they do make it so. If you do start to think, you have that moment of like, well, none of the people that I'm playing as in this game are Americans, and so the the immediate immediate knee jerk criticism of like, oh, here's what America did. That said, you are a function of the CIA, and. Uh, So even though you are Scottish and British and all this other stuff, you are kind of doing, it's, it's complicated, right? That I think that's, if I had to guess, that would be the thing that they set out to do, at least as a, not as a primary objective for what the story they were telling. Cause I think they just like said, fuck it. Let's write a cool action movie. Let's get the cartels involved. That'll be interesting. And it's a different, you know, then there's a lot of different stuff around that. That is, is pretty good for what it is. Um, But along the way, they involve so many different people from so many different nations and factions and all this other stuff that, you know, if you really do try to start to try to pick it apart, I think you only get as far as just like, this is all fucked. (laughs) This is like, by the way, every faction in this thing is fucking gross in some specific way. And we'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Um. You know, if anything else comes of that, I don't know. Like, at some point, the multiplayer is going to come out and no one's going to talk about the campaign ever again. But for what it's worth, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, like like I said, I think from a gameplay perspective, it is inventive and they have ideas. They have uh, a variety of gameplay. There's a lot of bespoke moments in that game that you look at and go like, it's crazy that this is in here. It's crazy that you did this for a campaign, That this is that this is the mission you made. Some of those moments I think go on too long, you know, the the big set piece moments of like look at this crazy thing that we have you doing. Um you know, this one level where you and uh, there's one level where you just suddenly have a crafting system and you're you're skulking through the shadows looking to build improvised mines and smoke bombs and you know, you're like, "Oh, look at some I can get this wax, I can get these mouse traps, I can do this." And, you know and and some of those moments go on a little too long there's a sniping mission that is really well done and if you think about this again as like a a reboot of modern warfare 2 and a and a retelling not a retelling but a a reboot of what modern warfare 2 was and what the modern warfare trilogy was in terms of um you know your ghillie suit level your your C130 level like like the stuff that, that you think of as like classic call of duty moments like they pack those in there and then they give them interesting twists because the sniper mission, you do a lot of the same stuff you did in that old sniper mission of just like, oh, stop moving because they're walking right past us. But then that almost feels like a tutorial for what's to come because then there's a really long, like too long at the end of the day, like some of these moments go way too long. But that sniper mission goes on a really long time and you have to then apply those mechanics that you learn in that almost scripted feeling thing and go like, okay, these guys are coming at me. I need to hit the dirt and put my gun away and let them walk past. And then I get up and do that. And, and so I think that's pretty cool that they, uh, the, the things that they, they used as almost like throw away, look at this cool thing moment in those old campaigns. Now, some of those concepts feel fleshed out into full on things. And it's interesting as a result. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's a good campaign. It's one of the best ones they've done, I think. And um, and I had a I had a good time with it. You know, it's it's short. I my Steam time on it's like seven hours, but I'm pretty sure I left it paused for like an hour, so it's probably more like five or six or something like that. But um, yeah, I had a good time with it. Let's take our uh, our last break of the show, and then we'll come back, and I will talk to you about
1: Gotham Knights and a handful of other video games. Okay. We'll be back right after this. If you're like me,
0: you're always a little bit wary of signing up for yet another subscription, um, especially when it comes to physical things that, that show up at the house. You know, it's like uh, it's very easy to forget to cancel that stuff. And, you know, it's like sometimes you just don't need things at the same cadence that the people running the subscription seems to think that you do. So subscription raisers, um, you know, it, it don't always make a ton of sense. And that's why there's Henson Shaving. Henson Shaving is a family-owned aerospace parts manufacturer. They have made parts, built parts, manufactured parts for the International Space Station and the Mars Rover. Yeah. And now they're bringing that precision engineering to your shaving experience. That's right. You can get a, a razor handle made by people that make parts, that build parts for space. And that leads to a level of precision that you just don't get out of other razors. Now, razor blades, uh, they can be a little bit like a diving board. You know, as they get longer, they start to wobble around a little bit. And as they wobble, as a razor blade wobbles, that's going to lead to more nicks and cuts and scrapes and all that other stuff. Um, So, Henson uses these aerospace-grade CNC machines so they make these metal razors, these handles that extend just 0.0013 inches past the the length of the handle. So they grip that razor real, real tight. They hold that blade in place to give you a secure, stable, vibration-free shave. Now, the razor has these built-in channels to make sure that hair and shaving cream and all other stuff doesn't get in the way. While you're shaving, so you don't have to sit there and clean it out over and over again. It's not going to clog up all that sort of stuff. Henson Shaving just wants to make the best razor. They're not out there building the best razor business. That means, you know, there's no plastic, no subscriptions. The blades aren't even proprietary. This isn't about planned obsolescence. They're not going to come out with another handle next year and be like, now you need the new blades. No, the Henson Razor works with standard dual-edged blades to give you that old school shave with the benefits of new school technology. So once you own a Henson razor, it's like what? 3 to 5 dollars a year to replace the blades. You know? Uh and and these and these shaves are close. These are close, sharp shaves. And they're affordable. That's the yeah, when it comes when it comes down to it, affordability, you know, re- replacing these razor blades very easy just generic good razors that are gripped super tight in this handle. To make sure that you're getting a nice, clean, and safe shave. That makes it different from all the other stuff out there. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm used to buying these, what, these, like, got five blades in it. It's like, okay, well, all five blades are terrible. What if I just had one good blade? What if I just had one good razor that could hold that blade in place? And make it very easy for me to replace that blade inexpensively. It's time to say no to subscriptions and say yes to a razor that'll last you a lifetime. Visit Hensonshaving.com slash Jeff to pick the razor for you and use the code Jeff and you'll get two years worth of blades free with your razor. Just make sure to add the blades to your cart. You gotta you gotta put them both in the cart and then they'll be like, oh, you got razors, those are free. You gotta add them yourself though. That's one hundred free blades when you head to H E N S O N S H A B I N G dot slash Jeff and
1: use the code Jeff. And thanks to Henson. Sponsoring the podcast. Gotham Knights is out, and uh, getting freaky is in.
0: I don't know. Batman's dead. I don't. Sorry, spoilers. Batman is dead, and um, well, we're all very sad about it. Uh, he he died in the introductory cutscene. And, um, you know, we're, again, we're, we're all, we're all pretty busted up about it. And, uh, we hang out in the Belfry and we make food and kind of just mope at each other. And then we go out and fight crime and then we come back and we're sad some more. And then we go out and fight some more crime and, uh, so on and so forth. Gotham Knights is a really conflicted very Gotham Knights doesn't it, I I don't know what game Gotham Knights is supposed to be. It feels like they didn't go far enough in any one direction to really make it notable in any specific way, I guess. Uh it's a it's a two-player co-op game with four playable characters in it. I spent a long time assuming that it was a four-player co-op game, and then as I was writing something about it, up, uh, which is up on the Patreon, by the way. Uh, you can read that for free. You go to patreon.com slash Gerstmann or dopeassvideogames.com. I wrote something about my time with the game there uh, that, that anyone can read. You don't have to be a patron to read it. But hey, while you're there, if you want an ad-free podcast,
1: and so on and so forth, you could sign up. That's that's up to you. Um It is not an
0: Arkham game. It is not a a follow up to that type of game. There are are elements in Gotham Knights that are um you will recognize in terms of how the combat is structured and some of that other stuff, but like not in a way that it feels like the next step in the Arkham combat. It feels more like, oh, every game with group combat now kind of feels like an Arkham game. Gothamites just feels like another one of those. You know, it doesn't feel like it's advancing in any way, shape, or form. (coughs) You have four playable characters, but they all basically have the same types of moves. Uh, You know, light and heavy melee, light and heavy ranged. You can kind of aim down sights and shoot. And by shoot, I mean Red Hood has pistols. But Robin has a slingshot because he's a boy. He's
1: a boy wonder with his little slingshot and his stick. Like I got my stick, gonna hit you. Um,
0: and so uh, you know, Batman is dead, and so it's up to the four of you to figure out uh, what the fuck happened. uh, Why? uh, yeah uh, yes, uh, sorry, to answer the question in chat from m.c, M. aim yes, you hold down the left trigger to aim down sights, and you hit the right trigger to shoot. <laughs> they put, they put those mechanics into, into this Batman game, which is weird. Um, anyway, um, the characters all feel pretty similar, but at the end of the day, you are basically picking up the trail of, uh, Batman's final case and trying to figure out what the hell happened, um... And and what he was getting so close to that got him killed or or whatever. And um, this starts with uh Ra's al Ghoul and goes through to where you're, you know, you, you have these moments with these kind of, you know, the, the classic Batman villains. And they're not all, they're not all always boss fights. Like you go and, and you, you go talk to the penguin and you like try to get information out of Harley Quinn, you, you know, like, and, and, because you're not Batman, they're they're like, Look, kid, get the fuck out of here. And so there's an element of like the story being like, okay, we have to pick up the pieces with Batman gone and what does that mean across the board? Like, okay, we're not as respected in the streets by these criminals, by anybody, you know, like there there's a lot of different stuff like that. Um that basically just turns into like the first time you go and see him, he says, Ma, get out of here, kid, ma, I'm the penguin, and then you go out and Fuck shit up for two missions and then you go back and he goes, I'll tell you what's really going on, you know, like that, basically. But um, it's designed in this weirdly stilted way. So, like, you go out at night on patrol and when you're out in the city, it is always nighttime um, in, in Gotham City. Surprise, surprise. Um, there are random crimes happening. There are premeditated crimes that are happening that are, like, repeatable, like, oh, it's an armored car robbery. Oh, it's a hostage situation, whatever. And then there are story missions. And so you go out and you do your shit. And then at some point, you kind of need to go back to the base and to advance time. And you'll see, like, when you decide to go back to the base, it'll say, when going back here now will advance this storyline, this storyline. like Like, basically, this quest chain, this quest chain, and this quest chain. We'll all advance if you go back right now. And so it it creates a situation where you need to basically like you need to go back so that you can see the next storyline cutscenes of Alfred and the four playable characters standing around going like I guess we should go talk to Harley Quinn, huh? And then going like yeah, and then Red Hood going like I want to go out there and bust some heads. And then uh Robin being very mopey like they're all very mopey and so there's optional cutscenes that you can watch when you're back there and every single one of them is them going like basically just like sighing and and going "Ah, Batman huh? Man that guy's dead what are we going to do without Batman? I miss Batman me too how come Batman didn't tell us about what he was working on? he had a lot of secrets he didn't tell me either, we didn't know either about this., I miss Batman, you know and it's it's kind of a every single one of the optional cutscenes was some variant on that from what I played of it, and it's just like, yeah, now I get it. he's dead.
1: It's a big deal like I, i'm not, I'm gonna say it's not a big deal um and so you
0: go out in the world and do this stuff. You go back to advanced time, you go back out and, and there's a, a push and pull there. So there's some elements of like, Oh, in order to get the next story mission to unlock, you need to go do these five side missions first, or, or, you know, you need to go stop 10 crimes before this criminal will, t- you know, want to talk to you again or, or, or whatever. And so you end up in this situation of doing a whole lot of busy work in, in some cases before you get to like, see the next chapter of the story unfold. And you know in, in fairness you you sometimes you've got three different threads going at the same time, so you know you're kinda like knocking out premeditated crimes for two of your three chains at the same time or 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 whatever and um and so it's that kind of game, but also it's a loot game with a crafting system, almost everything you pick up um are crafting materials, and you'll get them in weird numbers like you got fucking seventeen hundred polymers. And you got eight hundred of these, and you got forty-three of these, and and um and you you craft items for three slots. Each character has three slots. There's a suit slot, a melee slot, and a ranged slot. And so for Robin, it's just like this stick has a higher number than the old stick, but they're all still sticks. Um it's not like you're equipping a fucking sword or you know, or or a whatever. Like the characters play as they play, it doesn't change. Um, but it'll be like, Hey, this stick has a 3% increased crit rate and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. They all have destiny numbers on them. They all just have an overall power number on them. So you can just go like, okay, equip the highest power thing and, and move forward. The suits change. So you have like 15, 16 different suits, uh, to, to use. And, and as you find the different suits, craft the different suits, you can, you know, change the, the way you look if you, if you so desire. And, uh, you can equip mod chips on some of the slots on the suits. And so there's different ways to kind of like change the stats on that stuff. But everything I saw in my time with the game, which again, I, I, did, I did not finish the game and I don't, I don't think I'm going to, um, was some variant of just like, ah, it's 3% fire damage, elemental damage reduction. And I'm like, okay, does that actually change anything? I mean, it's just like, this number is slightly different. Cool. All right. Um, the only real differences in the characters comes on the skill trees and that's where you'll see, um, you know, Robin has things that make it. So enemies take a little bit longer to see him. So if you're doing a stealth mission, you might want to do, you might want to take Robin out to do it. Uh, and if you, you know if if you if you happen to know a mission's going to have a lot of cameras and turrets then batgirl is a hacker so she can remotely disable them for a brief period of time and stuff like that and and so each each character has like some slightly different stuff there that tries to make uh the the characters feel a little bit different but it's at the end of the day it it felt the the differences between characters did not feel dramatic to me um and the writing, you know, again, I, I thought the writing's pretty bad. You know, the, there's just the every aspect of the game kind of adds up to this really mealy mouth, just like I'm not sure what this game is trying to be because uh, it, it doesn't feel like like it, Yes, it has loot and crafting, but those systems don't feel good. They don't they don't feel like they have enough depth to them to be interesting and so you're not out there hunting for loot. You're not out there going like, we've got to do this raid to get this drop, to get this. It's more just like, I opened a chest and I got 400 new space polymers or, or whatever. And, um, traversal's abysmal. That maybe is the worst part of the game. Um, you can basically, every character has a zip line kind of grappling hook sort of situation. So you'll see a, you know, the corner of a building, there'll be a little, you know, you'll you'll see your, your reticle appear there and you hit L1 and it'll grapple to it. You can hit the jump button as you're reeling in to try to jump off of that perch and grab another one and keep going. But it's like the city just doesn't feel well designed to keep you moving forward. And so there are situations where you go like, oh, this is the top of a billboard there. Surely I can grapple onto that. The icon hasn't appeared yet, but I'm going to hit the button and you hit the button. And for whatever reason, you can't grapple onto the top of billboards and perch on top of them. And so instead it goes, oh, did you mean the really tall building behind you? We're going to grapple to that. And then you're suddenly like jerked backwards and up into the sky. And you're like, what the fuck? Like it's really, that movement is really, really frustrating. And uh, not fun to engage with. And your other option is to use a motorcycle. You can push up on the D-pad to spawn an invisible motorbike and it just appears, and you jump on it, and then you can drive. The sense of speed on that thing is abysmal. And the city, so you're just like driving around the city for way too long, because you're like, well, I gotta get from one end of Gotham to the other, because the the bomb disarm mission I need to do in order to get Harley Quinn to talk to me again is all the way over there. So let's drive all the way over there on this stupid, slow-ass bike. It's crazy. It is crazy how slow... The traversal in that game feels. I I don't understand. there nothing. Just it's it just it's it's shocking to me in, in a way of just like this, this is how did this, how how is this the how is this the solution? You eventually unlock fast travel points. You go see a guy and he's like, I made a cool fucking glider wing for you, and you're like, Oh, sweet! I might be able to fly around the city. That'd be good if I could just fly around the city, but no. Instead, it's like a fast travel system, but it's like, oh, but there are drones that will shoot you down in every part of town. So you've got to go out there, find these drones, and scan them. And once you've scanned them, then you can fast travel to that location, which doesn't mean you're not manually flying around the city or doing anything actually cool, actually superhero-like. Instead, you're just like, oh, I got to, okay, because I scanned these things, now I can just warp over here. And whatever, at least that solves the fucking problem and I'll never have to drive all the way out here ever a fucking again. Um, But that's... It's it's really weird. The motorcycle is such an abysmal way to travel. The zipline stuff is just as bad, if not worse. And the sense of speed... I, I played on PlayStation 5 and the frame rate uh tops out at 30 it does dip here and there it does not is not is not always a stable 30 i don't think the game looks great i don't think the image quality is so stunning that you're like oh i see why this couldn't be 60 because it looks so incredible instead it's just like this city feels fucking empty it doesn't feel like there's a lot going on it doesn't feel alive or it doesn't feel vibrant with crime instead it's like oh four blocks over this way, there's three people standing here and I can go crime them up because they're doing crimes. And, you know, the rest of it is just like, ah, there's some people on the street. There's cars. But not a ton. It just doesn't feel... Yeah, the, the city doesn't feel like it has anything going on. It, and it doesn't feel like there's any great reasons. Of course, they've got collectibles and stuff like Batman put secret batarangs around the city. Wouldn't it be fun if we found them for old time's sake on account of Batman is dead?
1: And turns out, no, it's not that fun because traversing the city is is abysmal in this game. So it's... uh. It's not great. You you may be able to... I, I thought I saw a
0: brief screenshot of someone gliding, which makes me wonder if there is some kind of late-game traversal upgrade that lets you glide off of one of these grapple points, which might be a slight improvement, but in terms of speed, doesn't seem like it actually solves any problems. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird game. And I, I, it is uh, very repetitive. There are aspects of it that I was like, oh, you know, I could see... I could see play in this, but just the the things you kind of have to go through to just get around and, and do things really, um, really just pushed me away from it, you know. Um, and and the, the whether that was the writing itself or just the combat being highly repetitive and and all this other stuff. Like it has a few ideas, right? The the idea of like you go out at night and you return and then time advances and then the storylines advance. Like that plays into the mechanics a little bit where you have like seven med kits and you can push right on the D pad at any point to recover health. But eventually you're going to run out of med kits. And the only way to like get your med kits back, as far as I can tell is to end the night and go back to the Belfry, let time advance. And then you can go back out with another seven med kits. And like conceptually, that's interesting because it's like, Oh, I can go out and do this stuff, but I can only do so much. And I better not too many, do too many random crimes before doing my story missions because I want to make sure that I actually finish the story missions. And if I don't have enough med kits, what if I screw that up? And, but then also the penalty for death is really, really, well, you lose some crafting materials. You're like, you lost 43 polymers. You're like, Oh no, my polymers. What am I going to do? Um, and it actually just kind of respawns you in place. Like the, the fight, the, because it's a online co-op game, there are parts of that game that don't stop when you pause it. Um I think if you hit pause pause it will stop but when you go into the uh menus when you go into your your map or anything like that like the world is still moving and um you know because it's online co-op and and all of that. So I you know they they say at some point they're going to add four player co-op to the game and that would certainly be more interesting and you start to wonder like does this just become a um does this become a scenario where like, this is just a brain dead podcast game and you're just going to like get on voice chat with your friends and shoot the shit and never once think about the story because that would be you could do that I don't know that I think that that would be like an amazing experience but if you and three friends or you and you and off friend because I don't know if the four player co-op is going to be the same as the two player if they're doing some raid, because they were like we're going to do raids or whatever which is another weird concept I don't know um, we'll see but uh yeah, I don't know. It, it's not an engaging game on its own merits, I'll say that much. So, if you can bring a friend to it and never think about the game, sort of like a Far Cry co-op scenario of let's ignore the story and skip all these cutscenes and just glide over here and smoke everybody, like that is an experience you could have. I bet it would be better than, than playing it alone, but also not better enough to recommend you and a bunch of friends go out and buy copies of the game at full price. That doesn't seem like a way to go either. So, that's Gotham Knights um, I played it on PC a little bit. We streamed some of that and on PC it will run at 60 frames a second
1: or above. But that didn't make the sense of speed on the bike feel any better. So I don't know what to tell you.
0: Like, yeah, the the frame rate on console being locked at 30, I think is a, is crappy. I don't think that's cool. I think that's uncool. But also playing it on PC and, and being able to turn stuff up and, and how all well that all looks like, I... Mm, that that is not some magic problem solver that doesn't turn it from like a you know that doesn't add 30 points to its review score like oh well if you're gonna play it this way then it's you know no it's still it's still kind of whatever um i played some smaller stuff as well uh atari mania we we played some of that it's it's bad we, we talked about that a little bit last week and streamed some of that that's the video of that is up on the youtube channel now I'm a little bit behind on some of those uploads, so I've got to I've got to get that stuff processed and out. Um I played some new tales of the Borderlands. I did not play a ton of this because of just everything else that was coming out. It was kind of last in line.
1: Um Borderlands is a tricky topic for me because
0: on account of I thought Borderlands 1 was an awesome video game. And then everything they did with the story in every game past Borderlands 1, I thought was just not especially funny or interesting or anything like that. People seem to like the previous tales from the Borderlands. This is not necessarily a one-to-one with that, but it is. It, you will get the basic idea that they are going for a very story-focused Borderlands game. This is not a shooter. This is about quick-time events and dialogue choices and the kind of Telltale-esque... um concepts of of that previous game, um, but you are walking around a full 3 d environment you are walking up to things you know it's a it's a point and click adventure game in a sense um, and there's something about so you know you, you get introduced to the three characters the the three characters that will kind of form up your your party or the three characters that you will largely be playing as um <clears throat> and I will say that, that there is something fascinating about like here. This lady is the proprietor of a, a yogurt shop in the borderlands universe. And, uh, this guy is just some dude and he's kind of a hustler and he's trying to make it happen out here, but he's not some gun toting lunatic. He's not, you know, like he's just a guy trying to fucking survive, uh, while all these corporations are tearing everything apart. And, and, and so there's something kind of interesting about seeing how actual humans live in the world of Borderlands that makes new tales from the Borderlands, like, at least a little bit fascinating. Um, but then when they try to kind of make it funny in the Borderlands way, it's very. You know. I'm not interested <laughs> in that sense of humor. Um and so the the more they kind of fall into that, the less interested I am. But the the introduction to the characters and, and some of the early parts of that game, um it seems okay. I, I wanna play some more of it for sure. I, I have not played like I said, I, I have not played a ton of it. This is not a review, this is this is me checking it out and being intrigued with what I saw more than anything else. Um And, um, yeah, like, like that type of, of adventure game kind of concept set in this universe might be okay as long as they stay away from a lot of the, the dumb shit that has plagued the Borderlands universe for, um, most of its existence at this point, right? I mean, let's face it, there's a lot of crap, there's a lot of absolute crap, crapping up the Borderlands (laughs) games, uh, in, in this day and age. So um yeah, interesting to see kind of this this alternate take on on some of that stuff and and you know, if they this could still manage to be a, an okay story on its own in spite of it being part of the Borderlands franchise, if that makes any sense. Um and the last game I'll talk about quickly, I don't I don't have much to add here that anyone else hasn't um said or played for themselves because uh, it feels like the trombone champ discussions were happening about a month ago. I finally had the time to to take it in a little bit uh, last week. And I went into it expecting it to be just a pretty bare bones indie rhythm game with a bunch of uh, public domain songs and like, oh, it's funny that you play the trombone and you know, because you use the mouse to move a, 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 uh, an indicator up and down on the screen and you try to match up with the line to play properly but because it's a trombone you're always slightly off and it always you always sound it sounds like you're providing the soundtrack to a drunk man stumbling around at best and that's pretty funny and then but also it's got a bunch of writing on top of it and uh, a vague sense of unlocking something and a lot of talk about hot dogs and baboons and a lot of stuff that you're like this None of this needed to be here, but it sure does add a layer to this that wouldn't be here otherwise and and that's kind of cool. So it's actually funny. I think the the trombone the tromboning itself is funny and fun. Um in the same way that like uh you know, like guitaru man or um groove coaster to a certain extent uh, where you're just kind of like you're you're moving this analog thing, you know, y- y- it would be a perfect DS game, you know, you where you'd be like, oh, I'm I'm moving the stylus on the bottom screen to adjust to this, and then occasionally maybe I have to tap 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 and and that sort of stuff. Like it has that kind of gameplay to it, you know, it, it, where it would slide in alongside like an Awendon or um or like I said, Guitaru Man is, is you know somewhat somewhat similar in a way, but um yeah, it's uh. There's just enough extra stuff going on in there to make it feel like a lot more than just, you know, an indie rhythm game. That said, when I I uploaded, I record, we streamed some of this on Friday and I uploaded the archive and immediately got hit because YouTube is YouTube, right? And people are dirtbags. It was like, hey, um, pretty sure this is a cover of the canadian national anthem uh and we own the rights to that so we're gonna claim uh we're gonna claim the revenue on that one and, oh you played Hava nagila yeah that's uh we own the right like so it's like companies out there trying to claim the rights to public domain songs which is super fucking shitty um and and makes it makes streaming that game a hassle if you're the sort of person who uh cares about all that sort of stuff um it does have support for custom songs. People have hacked I, I, you know that not officially, but people are doing customs for it and that's pretty awesome. I have not really engaged with any of that side of things, but uh it sure is cool that that that's uh that that's happening. So, um yeah, check out Trombone Champ. You don't need me to tell you this. It, everyone was talking about it weeks ago. So, you know, I don't I don't have too much more to say that you probably haven't heard already. It's good it's, it's, it's as good as people made it out to be. <laughs> and and so, uh, so that's pretty awesome. Why don't we get into a little bit of news here?
1: You heard of Bayonetta? All right, that's it for the news. mostly talked about this last week. Not that much has happened. Um,
0: But to refresh your memory, uh, Helena Taylor, the original voice of Bayonetta, called for a boycott of Bayonetta 3. Uh, She is not voicing the character in the new game. Jennifer Hale has stepped in to voice the character, and Helena Taylor um, put forth that she was offered uh, an insanely low amount of money and uh, was, was basically...
1: Uh, Not, not treated well and was offered $4,000 to do the game. This led to
0: a lot of people being very angry at Platinum and Nintendo. And then you started to have some leaks and little bits and pieces that, that seemed very (laughs) targeted and just like, okay, we're going to put out a message saying uh, that we, you know, we're going to put out a Twitter screenshot of a message that says, be nice But also, someone is going to leak details about the contract negotiations. And so Bloomberg started reporting on that. A few different reports on basically the idea that she was offered an amount of money uh, that was pretty close to the union and industry standard for uh, for voice sessions. Not to say that that's fair. I'm not going to say that that's enough money. I'm just going to say that that is the union minimum. In some cases, and um, there were reports claiming that she went back and said that she wanted six figures and that she also wanted uh, residuals on the sales of the game, which is largely unheard of for voice actors. I mean, it's largely unheard of for people that are developing the game day-to-day, let alone people that are coming in and doing a handful of sessions, um, and this just got muddier and muddier as time went on, and now it seems like uh she she has basically confirmed the reporting while also saying that she is not confirming the reporting. I don't know. She did come out and say, yes, I was offered ten thousand, which I said was low, and then I went to Kamiya and then he s- offered me an additional five thousand, so now we're up to 15 grand, which is kind of in the range of what the reports had been. And, uh, and that she turned that down. And so they went a different direction. They're like, okay, we'll find somebody else to do it. And they went and found somebody else to do it. And... And then at some point they offered her $4,000 to do a smaller session to do some lines for the game. Because obviously they had already done the main character and, and that sort of stuff. So maybe there was some additional work she could have done and, and all of this. There was a... Video Games Chronicle. A lot of people exchange messages with her over the course of this. Video Games Chronicle. There's a paragraph in one of their stories about this that just says you know, this was something from I believe late last week. In private messages exchanged with VGC Taylor called the suggestion that she was offered more than $4,000 categorically untrue. She also labeled claims by sources that she could have earned $15,000 an absolute lie and a complete joke. Um, and then earlier this week, they, she, she said, yes, they offered me $15,000.
1: Um,
0: she is continuing to call for a boycott in a long tweet thread from yesterday. Uh, she said, I will post the 14 charities so you can donate to charity instead of buying this game from corrupt, greedy people. There are people who are attempting to throw shade and discredit what I say the industry is powerful they have powerful journalists too um i don't know what the fuck is going on anymore i, I like she has contradicted herself multiple times now and has turned to going like they control the journalists which uh, is always fun um i love the 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 idea that that um that this is what Jason Schreier has been waiting for his whole career. This is where he throws it away. This is where he cashes in. He's built a body of work as a reliable uh, source of information. But when it comes time to protect Bayonetta three, there, he like that's that's what he's that's he's a powerful journalist. Um, I. But also, she said that they basically offered her fifteen grand, and that that was not something that she was down for. And so like, but again, like separate from this voice actors should be paid more and they're going to go to the, 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 the the union agreement expires in a few weeks here and they'll go back to the table and they'll, they'll start to negotiate again. Right. And hopefully they will do more. They will, they will get a better deal next time around. Um, I think voice actors, you know, like you've heard the stories about voice actors and what anime pays and how fucking terrible it is and all that sort of stuff. Voice acting is an awesome profession, and I think that the people that do it well do it incredibly well, and they bring a lot to the productions they are involved in. They become iconic. How do you reconcile... The the, the questions I can't answer, because who the fuck am I, other than a powerful journalist, Um, they, like, how do I... Reconciling the, the notion that, yes, voice actors need to be paid more with the notion that a lot of people involved in making video games should be paid more for the amount of money that video games make and amount of money, video games rake in. And and she went on to say that the Bayonetta was a $450 million franchise, which is not, which is high. That is not, that is not, that is not great math. Um, So this is a weird fucking mess. And so Jennifer Hale came out and, and said, like, hey, I'm under NDA and can't talk specifically, but hey, I you know, you know that I'm not fucking crazy. You know, like and then Platinum came out and said, Hey, can we all just stop being shitty to people, to humans? Can you like don't go after Helena Taylor? Like without saying names. Don't go after Helena Taylor. Don't go after Jennifer Hale. Like, just just can we fucking chill uh because the, the internet did what the internet does. Um and so, yeah, I don't know, like the, 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 there's just enough contradictions in what she herself has said around this pay stuff that it just looks crazy now that I just look at it and go like, I don't even know, I don't know what I'm looking at anymore other than, um, you're calling for a boycott of a game that, and and then, and then painting a pic, trying to paint a very specific picture about how you were treated, and then now she has backpedaled on parts of that to say, actually, I was treated this way, but that's still bad. And, and yes, it is. But like, it's also industry standard bad, not
1: um ripping you off. But I don't know. I don't know. It's a. Yeah, it, it's a. It's a
0: shit situation all the way around, but I, I think that like the, the way that she has gone about this stuff feels very suspect to me. I, I don't I don't know what to make of it, you know? Like it just doesn't line up with, again, like her story doesn't line up with her story. Like forget um, details about like, oh, she asked for points. She asked for this. You know, like like if, you, if we turn off those sources and turn off that part of the reporting and just look at the record of what she has said, it doesn't line up on its own. And so you you don't need to be a powerful journalist to see that. And, and so I, I don't know what to make of this whole thing anymore, other than. I think that, uh, you know, there are a lot of people involved in the making of video games that probably deserve to be paid more and that the there are more parts of the industry that should probably be unionized and and that sort of stuff. There was a, you know, the was the the labor board was going after after Activision all over again now because one of their people got on Slack and said, yeah, you know, it's going to be hard for us to give raises to people if this union thing happens because, uh, you know, this union thing takes a really long time and stuff is really slow and I don't know that we're going to be able to give any bonuses or raises while that stuff's going on. And, and so I don't know, like there's a bunch of shit <laughs> happening, um, around this business in a variety of disciplines. Right. So, um, yeah, I don't know the, 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 but the Helena Taylor stuff, the Bayonetta stuff specifically, Seems like a case of her very selectively telling her story, uh, while calling for a boycott out of the gate, which seemed like a lot, like a, like a, a, a nuclear option kind of thing, uh, that she very deliberately did very close to the game's release. And, uh, I, I don't know, as, as this story is unraveled, it just like looks at some point it starts to undermine, you know, the, I, the, the, it, it's, it's, it cuts both ways, right? On one hand, yeah, this is putting a, a spotlight on, uh, hey, more people in voice acting should probably be paid better. Um, I think that's especially something in, in the, in the land of anime when you hear about the pay rates and some of those things, it is embarrassingly low. Um, but also it, it kind of it muddies the issue enough to where now you're like, well, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess everyone should make more money, but like, what are you saying? What are you saying? I don't know. It's a mess. That game is coming out soon. I guess reviews hit today. Uh,
1: seems like people like it. I don't know. Uh, a report out of Insider Gaming uh,
0: that, that uh, picked up it has been picked up by Polygon and a handful of other places here. Um, indicates that Bungie is looking to reboot the Marathon franchise and that they are in the process of developing that. We know that Bungie is hard at work on, I think, a couple of different unannounced things. Is there, like, they did that deal with Netties, right? And then there's another. I'm pretty sure they have multiple non bungie non non-non-destiny projects in the works at this point. Um is is my understanding. I, I could be wrong on that. But anyway, the indication here is uh is that they are working to do something with the Marathon name and that the game, uh, according to Polygon's uh, recap of it is that it is in a pre-alpha state right now and it is uh it is destined to be a squad-based team extraction type of multiplayer shooter. Um, That's kind of it on the details. Um, There's not too much here. Uh, The insider gaming report says uh, marathon takes place on a planet that was previously home to a human colony that vanished. Okay. That's kind of details from the, from the previous marathon games. It's understood that the gameplay loop of marathon is similar to most extraction based shooters. Choose a mission, buy and choose your loadout, drop into the map, hunt for loot and complete missions, and then extract safely, and, uh, if you die, you lose what you're looting. Uh, the game is intended to be the, and this is, this part is in quotes, the ultimate example of a living game. Seasonal rewards and progression will be a huge part of the game. Um... And then uh, everyone is citing this Pete Parsons interview from 2019 with IGN where he says that the studio will have a new game by 2025. So by 2025, we have a pretty specific path to make sure we transform Destiny and that we have other franchises within the marketplace. So... Um, yeah, I, that, that kind of squad based extraction type of shooter I, I feel like a handful of studios have done that type of game with a variety with like varying degrees of success, right? What happened? Was it was a rainbow six extraction feels like it very much came and went not that that's a big loot game per se. Um, but that type of like get in and get out sort of thing. The division have, of course has its dark zone thing that is, is like that, that element of that game specifically is about getting loot and getting out. Um, whereas like, yeah, I, 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 I don't know this, this doesn't immediately seem like a slam dunk. You're I'm, you're not immediately like, oh shit, yeah. Also, Marathon is a franchise, is a game. Like those are games that are well regarded by a weird group of people because the Marathon franchise were it was were Mac games, and so the range of people who actually remember those original Marathon releases. And all that sort of stuff is a weird subset of a subset. Those games did get re-released in some capacity on Xbox Live, right? Was it just Marathon 1 and 2? And not the third game that came back out? I forget what what the the actual situation was with those games getting re-released. And they were first-person shooters. Just kind of like whatever story-driven first-person shooters that kind of in a lot of ways... uh, set the not the halo tropes but the bungee tropes of rampancy and all that sort of stuff i want to say that they they kind of they tap into a lot of the the same concepts that um that bungee has has leaned on uh a number of times over the years um i'm interested to see whatever bungee is doing next, right? I mean, I think that, that Destiny is, Destiny has been a great franchise, it has been a great game I know a lot of people are read, are lining up to talk shit about that game at all times for one reason or another um, but when Destiny is great, it is really, really great and it is it has been a fantastic game uh, a lot of the time and um, also it has been running for a very long time So I would be very curious to see what they decide to do next, whether that ends up being another first person shooter, or if they end up going third person with a marathon thing, that would be weird, but they could do that. But, um, but no, they, they, you know, for as much as destiny hit, it's weird bumps in the road at times. Like it netted out as, as quite good. It netted out as like a a really, a really awesome franchise. Um, with some very rough patches along the way. <coughs> um, so yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm interested to see whatever it is. They end up doing next. Uh, and then the other thing that happened. Is Konami decided that they wanted to make. A bunch of video games. And so they announced. was uh, like 20 different. I don't know 300 different Silent Hill games. They did a clay pulled a classic Konami on this. This is some old school shit. I and they have done this. Multiple times. Where they were like, we've got our Silent Hill thing coming, it's 2 o'clock, 2 o'clock, come watch our Silent Hill thing. And then they put up the video, and they didn't put it up as a premiere, they didn't put it up as a live stream, they put it, they just uploaded the video, and you could scrub around it and get the announcements in 3 minutes, and just go like, oh, okay, they're announcing this, oh, okay, they're announcing this, they're announcing this, and, um... They did this. I want to say the press conference that I remember going to a Konami press conference in San Francisco in probably like 2008. I'm going to say early. Yeah, I'm going to say, you know, 08, 09, like, like sometime very early. Um, Back then. And uh, I believe this was the press conference where they said Dracula is still a threat. Which is to me still the most hilarious way to set up a Castlevania game, or yeah, we got a new we got a new Castlevania game coming, and uh Dracula is still a threat like <laughs> it's still fucking hilarious to me, um, but they got everybody in a big room in san francisco and, and and said like all right we're gonna we're gonna roll out the details on these games, but meanwhile, they uploaded the YouTube version of their thing. At the start of it. And so at the start of it, there were people in the room going, wait a minute. um, You already published all your information. Like, we're we're now trapped in this room hearing stuff that you already just spoiled for yourself. Like, w- wait, what the fuck? And, and they have, do- Konami has done that multiple times. And so they did this with a Silent Hill thing where they're like, come at two o'clock. And then they just dumped the video online and you could just skip through it instead of it being treated as an actual live stream. And I love it. I love that despite Konami, despite all of these, the passage of time and, and I'm sure all the turnover, it's so many different people at Konami now than there were then, that Konami can still fuck up in this highly specific way um, for, uh, we compared notes and, and they did that with a Kiefer Sutherland thing for Phantom Pain, I believe, too. Um, and they fuck they fucked it up again. So congratulations. I love it. I love it. Anyway, they announced some Silent Hill games. Bloober Team is going to remake Silent Hill 2 for the PlayStation 5 and PC. They are going to use Unreal Engine 5 to do it. They've also announced something called Silent Hill
1: F. Not to be confused with Arrow Dancing F or uh, was that? Um,
0: the nine other games that end with F or IF in some cases. Uh, that is going to be set in 1960s Japan and it's being developed by a Taiwanese studio they are also there's also Silent Hill Townfall coming from No Code who are the developers of Observation and Stories Untold as well as Annapurna is going to be involved in that somehow and they are also rebooting the film franchise with a new movie called Return to Silent Hill I guess some of the people that worked on the first Silent Hill film are going to get back together to do this and apparently this thing apparently the movie or the movie getting rebooted was the thing that got Konami to then kickstart. they're not kickstart but to, to jump start the the Silent Hill two remake so I don't know if I don't know if all of this kind of falls out of that where they're like oh we oh you're gonna make a new movie yeah great let's do it should we make some games
1: I guess I don't know I, I, this is, um, all right. I don't understand why they are going to these lengths
0: for silent hill of all things. It's just silent hill. I don't. Okay, sure. Why would you suddenly go, we're making three silent hill games. Like what? Why? What? Who wanted this? What the fuck's going on? Just weird. I don't know. Uh I don't know what the fuck Konami's doing. Sometimes it feels like Konami doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. Um So yeah, I don't know. There are suddenly 3 Silent Hill games on the books. Like I guess, all right, sure. Fucking why not? Um And that's it for news. Uh a a a not a not a ton happening out there. Uh like I said, we've kind of shifted into this uh this mode of um you know releasing video games <laughs> as opposed to uh doing a lot of news around them so so yeah i guess not too surprising for this time of year that we are uh, that we are shifting gears into into that sort of stuff but you know what that means now it is time for emails Podcast at guard.bike is the email address. Send in your emails to me at that address and I will check them out
1: and I will read some of them. I will re- in fact I will read most of them. Um and <clears throat> let's see here. Let's
0: sort by the starred emails. Let's go back a week and read the emails that have come in in the last seven days. Reese writes in and says, a lot of the gaming press in the 80s seemed pretty frivolous, especially here in the UK. Are there any magazines or journalists from that time that you still think of as high quality? The 80s stuff is really, especially like the mid-80s, like, you know, the, the early 80s, the when when video game magazines first started up in the U.S., like the magazines themselves felt like they were written by people that were down on video games and like were just like, "Look at this fucking fad!" It's just like ah, yeah. you know, it's, it's like they're literally calling people that play video games vidiots and that sort of stuff, Um, and. A lot of it is, yeah, it's it's pretty embarrassing, you know, and, and, you know, I think the reasons are pretty obvious. Like, there wasn't really, you didn't really have a ton of people that were subject matter experts that could also write well enough and could also had the ties to, you know, a magazine industry or or all of that sort of stuff. So, you'd have cases of, like, where Cream Magazine is, the, the music magazine, Cream. Oh. Sh- hold that, um, is, is, going to spin off a video game magazine and it's going to make it for three issues because they decided to do it in the middle of 1983 or, you know, some insane shit like that. I remember getting an issue of video games, player magazine and, uh, loving it because it was, you know, the only video game magazine I had ever seen at that point. Um, <clears throat> and, and other early examples, but you know, the, I can't really speak to the UK. I feel like a lot of games writing in the UK was very frivolous for a very long time. Um, And even when I was writing for GameSpot, even, you know, in the 90s at some point, a lot of the stuff coming out of the UK felt very, uh, either very light or very obviously paid for. And those were stories that I, you know, you'd have corroborated by people who worked over there, being like, "Oh yeah," and you know, maybe I'll try to get some of those folks on one of these days. Maybe we can tell some stories about UK games journalism and stuff like that. That's not, I'm not. That's not to say the entire scene was corrupt or or, or whatever or paid for, but like, you know, I even heard stories from PR people because it was just such an open secret in a lot of ways for a lot of the magazines over there where. <clears throat> You know, I was talking to someone who was making a game and, uh, they were like, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's exciting. And, and, um, you know, we're on the cover of this magazine this month, which I never thought that that would have, I never, I, and you know, we're, we're, we're getting magazine covers and stuff like that. And, and it's great, you know, the PR team's doing good work and this and that and, and all this stuff. And then I was talking to the person who was doing PR and I said, oh, so-and-so seemed very excited about getting the cover of this. I, I, I'm sure I've told this story before, um, and I, I relayed to the PR person that the, you know, the, the creative director, whatever the title was on this game, was very excited about getting that magazine cover. And he just looked at me and said,
1: yeah, I don't have the heart to tell him that we paid for it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, So, yeah, I don't know. Stuff
0: in the UK always seemed super fucking shady to me. Not 100%, but there was just enough of it that you were like, eh, I don't know. Like, I'm not close enough to it to know who's who and what's what or anything like that. So so I don't, I don't really know. We should get Gary Witta on sometime. John Davison, some of those guys that were around there at a very, very young age and, and try to try to hear some of their stories. I would, I would love to hear some of their stories about that stuff. Um, but here in the States, what did you have? You had Katz Kunkel Worley. Uh, and and the three of them, those three were kind of thought of as the first kind of name, name game journalists out there, and the, th- the three of them, uh, were responsible, I think, for a handful of magazines over the years. And um, if you go back and read some of their writing, you know, it's like it's clear that they understood the the subject matter better than their peers did, and and all of that sort of stuff. At the same time, it's not like the deepest craziest stuff, but you know, that that's it's think about the time and think about the games they're talking about and and the probably the low amount of money they're making to do this sort of stuff. Like, you know, it's it's a it was a very different business. And so so yes, it was hyper frivolous in the US in the 80s because a lot of the people writing it felt like they didn't want to be doing it. A lot of it felt like <clears throat> Uh, hey, we're going to start this video game magazine because we think video games are hot right now. And we're going to take people that are writing for this music magazine or writing for this other magazine and we're going to repurpose some of you to write to also, also write this video game magazine. And so you had stuff where they're like, I don't know, Pac-Man, there's these vidiots out there. you know, And and they were positive about the games, but in a snide kind of way that really felt like you were being talked down to. and um, And it was just fucking weird. I don't know. Uh, it, it, that stuff didn't really solidify. I don't think the U.S., the, the the journalism scene in the U.S. didn't solidify until, I guess, until EGM. And, and for me, it was video games and computer entertainment because they were taking this stuff seriously. But also, the, the computer magazines were written by adults. <laughs> the computer magazines felt like they were... Um, uh, they, they had an eye for like a, a more critical eye in a lot of cases than the console stuff. Um, because the console stuff was off, was written in the early 80s by and large, uh, back, in the early, back in the 80s. So a lot of that was stuff trying to ride the wave of the fad. And as soon as the 2600 became saturated and that, that market started to fail, like those people all kind of went away and it kind of vanished. And so you still had computer magazines, you still had compute you still had Run, which I believe was a Commodore 64 magazine that I used to get all the time. Run magazine, I think it was called. Um, and then when consoles kind of came back, when the NES uh, came out and, and, and the console market in the U.S. started to bounce back a little bit, you started to see more and more stuff happening on that front. I think early EGM is, you know, you go back and look at it now, and it's not especially well-written It's not especially, you know, it it is written from a place of, we love this stuff. And that's, 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 I think a lot, you know, even when I got into it, by and large, a lot of the people getting hired were
1: young people that could be easily exploited to work very hard. Um, and they
0: were usually, we, we were usually not trained journalists, I remember when we brought Kurt Feldman into the newsroom into into run news at GameSpot, he had actual chops doing news he doing real news for stuff other than video games. And so he brought to it this entirely different vibe of just like, no, nah, fuck him. Fuck this bullshit. Like, well, no, well, no, we're not you know, we're not signing this NDA. What is it what? What you just sign NDAs and then keep secrets? No, fuck that. Like and and it was a very different thing, you know, taken much more seriously. And that was the goal of early GameSpot by and large was to try to take this stuff seriously because a lot of magazines weren't, I mean, next generation came along and tried to, you know, try to present itself in this very kind of highfalutin way, the same way edge did. Uh, I just think edge was a lot better at it. Um, next gen is good too. I, I I don't, I'm not, I'm not shitting on next gen. It was cool for what it was, especially at the time. But, um, you know, like, like there was that wave there of like, Hey, let's take this stuff seriously because it's a big business. It deserves a level of scrutiny that it's not getting right now. And also, you know, someone who came in on the reviews side of things and it's someone who had, who had wasted a lot of money on bad games as a child growing up. Like for me, there was a service aspect to the whole thing of like, this is an opportunity through reviews to provide a useful service to an audience. You know, because I know that I grew up reading reviews, and and I read a lot of shitty reviews, and, and, and occasionally bought game. I ended up with a copy of a game called Bill Lambeers Combat Basketball that some motherfucker said was going to be great and have fucking chainsaw all this other stuff in it. God damn it! You yeah, take it for a ride. What happened to that guy? Let's find him. Let's track that guy down. Where's he now? Um, And so, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you end up reading a lot of bad reviews and getting taken advantage of and and getting ripped off and, and shit like that happens. And, and so for me, it it really felt like an opportunity to be like, no, I, I fucking care about, I care about this shit. I really legit straight up. That was it for me. Like I care about this. And as I got into the review side of thing, I only cared about it more and more and more. And for me, the driving thing, and this was this was something that was fostered by a lot of the people that were at GameSpot, because I think a lot of them had the same attitude, especially on the reviews side of the fence. Uh, people like Ron Doolin were really key, were really instrumental in the early days of like teaching me like how to fucking care about this stuff in in, in the right way. And I think Greg Kasavin would probably say the same thing when he came in. He, both of both of us worked under Ron for a, a chunk of time. Um, and came out of it thinking, you know, like, okay, like, you know, okay, the, you, there are friendly people in the video game industry, but they're not our friends. We don't owe them, you know, we're not here to, to write good reviews of their games because we like them or any of that other bullshit. Like this is our goal. We are in service of the audience. We are here to try to help them as best we can. And I think that's why, you know, it ended up being like the, you know, as, as the, as the site grew and more of the emails that came in in this kind of pre social media era that we were in, uh, you know, accusing us of all kinds of taking money here and there, it's just like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I don't even, like, I deliberately spent a lot of years not talking to anyone who made video games because I was off in the reviews corner, like, staying focused on people, like the people who were writing in trying to do everything I could to help them make more informed decisions and all that sort of stuff. And so, yeah, it's a, uh, it is it, it a frustrating line of work <laughs> to a certain extent. Um, and, and all of that, but like, I don't know that that's all. And, and I'm not saying we, we were not the first to do that. We were not the first to say, well, let's take this shit seriously. Like I said, I think video games and computer entertainment did a really good job of not writing down to its audience. If I had to say something about early EGM, and the people who were writing it, they were you know like like half of that review, three fourths of that review crew, were like kind of older guys, um,
1: and just the it
0: it it didn't feel like it was being written in a way that I was respectful of its audience at times. And some of the other magazines were even worse for that, where it's just like, hey guys, we're having wacky fun. We just love these video games; they're all good. Buy them all, um and uh, Andy Eddie and Video Games and Computer Entertainment they took that shit seriously and it, when you read it you felt smarter you felt like you were you were lifting yourself up to become a smarter better reader especially when I was you know 16 whatever you know 15 reading this stuff Um, <clears throat> and uh, it just it was a it was a better experience it left me more informed about video games than the other magazines did. And so I think they just did a, a really good job with that stuff. And yeah, I don't know. I, I think that there are definitely times you could look at GameSpot and say, maybe we took it too seriously. Maybe we went too far. Um you know when I when I really look back on it and you're like, yeah. And this is all stuff we'll get into in game, when when Game Boys to Men, uh, the the Patreon exclusive podcast that I do with a Glenn Rubinstein, we have currently we're currently in the early nineties of stuff where we're talking about our first trip to CES. We just recorded another episode of that yesterday, talking about kind of the, the impact of street fighter two on ourselves and on the, the world, um, which covers a lot of early nineties kind of territory and stuff like that. But, you know, as we kind of get into the, the mid nineties, late nineties, stuff like that, I'm sure we will, we will get into this stuff in some, some excruciating depth, Um, but yeah, I I think that there's a balance you have to hit with this stuff, but at the end of the day, I think you can't, I I don't, I don't want to, you can, people do, um, and they are successful at doing it, but I am not interested in completely giving up on taking this shit seriously, right? It would be very easy to just go like, I'm only going to play the games I like. And I'm only going to... So I, so everything I say is positive. I'm never going to say a negative thing about a video game ever again. I'm only going to cover the stuff I like. Why would I yuck somebody's yum? Blah, 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 blah. Um, but I do still think there's extreme value, especially now. More so, in in some ways more so than ever. To have sober voices out there discussing video games and the culture that surrounds them. And I think that's why a lot of the people out there writing news stories and covering, uh, covering labor issues and covering all these huge, you know, real world issues that are in the middle of all the video game stuff. I think that stuff's in- incredibly valuable. Um, and, and having those takes and those, those interesting kind of things happening around along the way, but the games themselves too, you know, and, and like, I think that you just need to be able to, you need to be able to have those conversations and, um, And you need to be able to have opinions about games. It would be, in some cases, probably even much easier to stop having public opinions about games. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of business opportunities that open up to you when you become that sort of person. But it's just not, you know, I I think that there's a shortage of that out there these days. And that's not to say that I'm amazing at doing it, right? Because I'm, especially right now, I'm one guy. I've been doing this for a long time, but games are long. In a perfect world, I would have finished Gotham Knights and I would have everything to tell you about everything about that game. In a perfect world, I would have played those exact five hours of God of War and uh, and had uh, a lot more to say about that. But, you know, I'm picking my shots. I'm doing what I can and also trying not to fucking go crazy. I'm trying to on, on some level, trying to play the stuff that I actually want to play um, so that I don't fucking go insane. Um, But yeah, anyway, I don't know. I'm rambling. Uh, there's uh, There's a I think there's a level of seriousness that's important to this and everything I've tried to do has always strived to have one foot in both worlds, right? I think that, you know, you can get too serious about games. Like I said, I think there were, there were times at GameSpot where we were monolithic. I think there were times at GameSpot where we deliberately tried to cease being individuals and try to present ourselves as this unified front, which is, uh, you know, a, 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 Made sense at the time, but now you look at it and it, it seems very ridiculous, you know, in a sense. Um, but you know, we we made those choices with good good reasons in mind. Um, but also, it's video games, and also it can be fun, and also the people that make video games are very interesting and fun, and so sometimes talking to them in friendly ways is exciting and engaging, and so you know you don't want to shut off those opportunities and, and all that sort of stuff as well, and and so but I do think that it's important to have that kind of balance in, in what I, at least in what I do to me, that's, that's the, like, how do you sleep at night type stuff is like, I am trying to strike that balance there and be like, Hey, um, I'm going to take this stuff seriously, but I'm going to take it a level of seriousness that I, that I feel like it deserves. Um, and I think that it's very, having, having been there, I think it's very easy to go overboard and, and take some of this stuff a little bit too seriously in a, in a way that can be stifling. Um, and I, I think that, you know, there, there's a lot of great games criticism out there, too. So, like, you know, that stuff has existed forever. and, and Well, not forever, but for a very long time. And um, all that sort of stuff as well is happening, too. So,
1: it, it's just a it's a weird line of work. It's a very strange business.
0: And it has been a very strange business for as long as I have been near it ever since. Just the ways in which it is strange are ever changing. You know, it's back in the day it was like just cigar chomping guys in suits that had never played a video game in their life and they were like, I don't know, the damn kids love them. Bulls versus Blazers for the Genesis, get it? I don't know. Um and now they're all public companies and now there's, you know, we've got government anti-trust, you know, like their anti-trade, you know, like like they're looking into acquisitions and it's, 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 it's just massive, massive, massive business now. And, um, in some ways it is buttoned up and in some ways it still is not. In some ways, the non buttoned up parts of it have gotten
1: even worse. Um, it's just hidden differently now. Whereas this industry, you used, you
0: used to go to parties and like you knew who the guys with the Coke were. Because they were like,
1: hey, 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 what are you doing? And you were like, mm, 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 uh, They hide it better now. <laughs> um, Let's see. Joe in Seattle writes in. This is something we've been talking about. He says two years in when will next gen start? I was very fired up to
0: install a plague tale Requiem on Xbox game pass. I enjoyed the first cool rat game and the new one is well reviewed. I have a series X and I was so excited to see how the game looked and played on my beefy next gen console. Wait. Oh God. It runs at 30 frames per second. On 120 hertz displays, it runs at 40 frames per second. There's no performance mode. The visuals look great, but it still feels like an Xbox 360 game. Uh, making games is hard, and anyone who says devs are lazy or whatever can get fucked, but it's still disappointing for a console that's supposed to perform like a Lambo. And he's got a quote in here from Polygon. that uh, A pull quote that Microsoft has used. Oh, man the Xbox series X runs like an Xbox one swallowed a Lambo
1: is the quote that I guess polygon gave at one point. I mean, it's it's a powerful machine. Like I, I, whatever, whatever.
0: Um, the console will have been out for two years in November. Will these machines always just feel deeply compromised? Do you think I like the ease of console gaming, but as a frame rate pervert, I may just have to burn my wallet and explore going PC. I don't know. I don't know anymore. This is this is all. So there's th- something else that uh, that happened. So I, I I um I mentioned on Twitter talking about um, this was something that was inspired by there was a dev at Rocksteady uh, who since deleted the tweet talking about the Xbox Series S as holding back game developers and saying that the existence of the S is causing developers to have to account for this lower spec and, and that that is the big problem in games right now because it's holding games back and all this sort of stuff. And I, I, what I wrote was basically just like, I don't, you know, not even as a direct response, it was more just like, Hey, if you go look at the steam hardware, so, and, and you can go do this, you can go look at the steam hardware survey and see like what the average PC on steam is and look at the graphics cards that are, you know, in the top 10, they ain't thirty nineties, you know. They're like sixteen eighties, sixteen whatevers, sixteen fifties. I don't even I don't even know the numbers anymore. But um, you know, the, 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 one of those sixteen cards is is like the the number one card on Steam, and it's ten eighties. It's it's not even twenty eighties. It's it's like cards that are a couple of generations back in a lot of ways, and. Um, and then you look at CPU speeds and all the other stuff, and you and you look at what the average PC on Steam is, and you go like, "Man, this is not these is this is not amazing hardware. These are not mind blowing, cutting edge specs." And so uh, my thought was like, "Okay, like yeah, I guess you can blame the Series S as like holding games back, but also all of these games come out on the PC as well." And so a lot of developers, because they want their PC ports to make money, then have to go target a wide range of specs that probably in some cases go below what the Series S is capable of, right? Um, At least on some, on some metrics. And so I look at that and say, you know, yeah, okay, maybe the Series S is holding, some, but like isn't it really just? Isn't it just really the wide range of PC hardware that's holding devs back? Because don't they want their games to sell to a wide range of people and a wide audience? So then they have to, by definition, support a wider range of specs that are not just cutting edge. That you know, like no one can afford, especially a AAA studio like a Rocksteady, for example. Um, they can't afford to go out and only target. PS5 and Xbox Series X as their minimum spec, like whatever that translates to on the PC side. If they did that, and that was the only thing that could run it, even on the PC end, they're cutting off a huge percentage of that PC audience that would no longer be able to to, to play that game. In a way that probably matters to the people that are calling the shots on the business end of things. So I just, I from my end, I just, I just look at it as like, is the Series S to blame here, or is it? The PC is it the wide range of Windows machines out there with super old uh, or not you know like but capable uh, hardware out there uh, that that developers have to account for, and then someone responded to that. I I actually I was looking at Video Games Chronicle the other day and found a story that quoted me, and then uh, with with that thing on Twitter, and then someone else. Uh, who was a dev who also then had to uh, lock down their Twitter after posting something about it, basically saying like, "Oh, you know, there, there are a lot of developers asking Microsoft if when we can stop supporting the Series S, like when can we drop? Like the Series S is holding us back. Like we need to stop supporting the Series S. All this other stuff. I, I just, I don't know. Like I, I don't, I don't think that person is lying. Obviously, I think that that's that's probably happening. I just like that seems like a seems like a really weird I, and again like I'm I'm no expert on this stuff so I could I'm, I'm very easily be wrong I'm willing to to say that but like I just look at it as like this is a much more complicated problem than something than just the series S because no one is just making a console only game anymore even a lot of games coming out of Japan are making their way to the PC these days in a way that they used to not so the idea of a console exclusive meaning not coming to PC like it's just not happening and so at that point you're already supporting a wide range of specs that probably include the series S range of hardware. So how could the series S really be holding you back? Is it something where Microsoft is demanding a certain level of performance on the series S? And so as a result, you have to account for that in a performant way and not just a, yeah, it runs kind of way because on the PC, you can get away a little bit better with like, yeah, you can read a run min spec runs. You don't want to play it that way, but you could do it. Um, and so I wonder if it's a situation like that. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I, I, I don't know. This this is something I want to... This is something I want to dig into and, and ask some folks about for sure uh, as as time goes on because I, I don't think Microsoft is going to suddenly let devs ignore the Series S. And also, I don't think the people on the business end of game development would let people give up on the Series S Considering that it's been selling quite well out there, so I don't know what the number are. There more Series S's out there than Series X's. I, I don't know where we're where we're at on that. But the the Series S has has sold quite well. It it is largely it, it performs pretty well when it has to. You know and the the reductions in quality, blah blah blah. I don't know. It's a weird. It's weird. Um. But to answer Joe's question, when will this generation start, I, I think that's that's something that is a weirder conversation where Gotham Knights didn't do it. They even dropped support for PS4 and they, they dropped support for the old consoles, and that game doesn't feel like a next generation video game. If anything, it feels like an Xbox three sixty game in its structure. Not necessarily in its performance. I'm not saying like, oh, it looks like one, of the gra- like the graphics are fine, the characters look great, whatever. Um but in terms of that game and it's structurally and all that sort of stuff, you know, yeah, you know, I could, I could see this as being a B game that came out two generations ago in terms of quality. So it's, it's, it's a weird time. This is something that, as we've said, is you have your supply chain issues, making it hard for people to get their hands on the new consoles. And then you also have the kind of long 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 hangover of the pandemic on video game development that's making this year feel especially weird um yeah i don't know big games feel like they're in a in, in a very strange place right now it's not quite at a crisis it's not like oh
1: my god this this style of gaming is done but it's yeah i don't know we'll see
0: God of War looks great. I mean, you know, like like God of War is is a it seems like a very similar type of game to a game that came out on PlayStation Four. Structurally, all that sort of stuff. It doesn't necessarily seem like they're reinventing the wheel for it. Nor should they have to. Um, but it looks great. Like visually, you're like, yeah, this runs great. It's got a lot of, you know, like that game can. I have not run it
1: at 120 hertz, uh, but it, it runs quite well. So I, you know, it's uh. There are some
0: very nice looking console games out there. But at the end of the day, like, you know, in terms of stuff that feels like truly new, you know, it just feels like we're not, that's not happening in the AAA realm the way it sometimes feels like it should be. It was weird. You know, I, uh, this is not, no, this is not one of them. I bought some, I bought some rock stars, this is a weird indicator, right? This is not a real indicator, but maybe it is. If we actually did the math on it or, or actually did the, the research on it. Um,
1: Rockstar has Master Chief on it again for a second holiday season. Um, but it's not for Halo. It's just like get rewards
0: get game pass like it's like a generic xbox partnership but like you know normally we get to this time of year right here we are late october this is the time when you start seeing the fucking the taco bell halo meal the the you know like the the fast food tie-ins the the mountain Dew tie-in the where am i where am i getting my double xp and some of those deals exist i think the i think what is it um Little Caesars has a double XP deal with Call of Duty this year. Um and I think you have to get a Mountain Dew to make it work. So, you know, it's like a double whammy there. Um but like then you see this Rockstar thing, uh, the 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 Rockstar the cans of Rockstar out there with like Master Chief on them, even though Master Chief that's a, that's now a year old game. Like, it just, it feels like, wow, we got it. We got, they want to spend money. They want to do these deals. We just don't have the games in place to do the deal. Can we find something generic to make it work anyway? Like, it's a little weird out there, you know, in an era, you know, like, like an eon ago, ancient history now, but like. You'd have Master Chief on fucking Slurpee cups. You'd have, you know, just like it it felt like there were five different games that were viable out there in in that kind of mainstream tie-in, like big fast food tie-in sort of sense. You know, remember when Titanfall came out and they had all the stuff with Target, like, you know, Titanfall got all that stuff. And and I love Titanfall. It's not always the biggest franchise in the world.
1: But I got my Target. Titanfall skins—they look good as shit. They look fucking great. Um, yeah, I don't know.
0: It's just and all that stuff adds up to everything feeling weird, and I don't know if that's like, hey, maybe like like the game has changed. You know, people buy games digitally. The the you know so all this other stuff has changed. You don't necessarily need the fast food tie-in. It just doesn't exist the same way. But it just doesn't feel like the games are there anymore. And when you go back and look and you add it all up, like yeah, the games are still kind of there. There's just not that, again, that B tier that we've talked about being missing for a while feels like it's just missing even harder this time around. I don't know. It's, it's just it, things feel bad out there right now in terms of the 60 and $70 game. It's not to say that, you know, I, I, there, there are good games coming out of those price points. I'm not being crazy, but just like the viability of those massive, massive games how expensive they are from an art perspective, and oh, we got to generate at least four K assets, and we got to do this, and oh, apparently now we have to figure out a way to make it run at sixty frames a second because people get mad at that. Like all that stuff just feels really fucking weird now, and it has for a while, and 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 it did last year to in a different way. Um. But all that adds up to, I think, why, why Joe is asking this question that I've asked. And, you know, like I see it out there is, is that idea of just like, when are we going to get started? When is the PlayStation 5 going to come out? When is the Xbox Series X going to come out? When is that happening? When are they going to put those consoles out? They should. Can't wait for some new video games. You know what I mean?
1: It's weird because there are new video games. There have been new video games. But shit just feels real crazy right now. It still feels real crazy right now, and I. I, It doesn't.
0: It doesn't feel good where things are at right now. There's something very unsettling about where the big video game, the high budget video game, exists in this day and age. You know what I mean? Like I'm not crazy. Like like you're right. Like I, you know, I'm looking at both these chats, going like, yeah, right, right, because it just. It feels like we haven't gotten started yet, which is weird. Because when, again, when you go do the math and look at the numbers, you're like, oh, well, Returnal came out, and you know, Sony First Party has been putting out a, a good chunk of stuff over time, and and some of that stuff has been good. Um, but like, yeah, Ubisoft dev- delays a game every thirty days. They they are like find a, they they dream up a new game that they can push back six months. You know, um. And what's Warner, you know, Warner just put out Gotham Knights. It feels like their, their slate is a little thin. There's, you know, there's just the, the, the publishers that you think of when you think of expensive video games, it's just, they're not putting out as many across the board. You know,
1: and, and Microsoft has what this year? Pentiment. Grounded, I guess, came out of early access. Um, I can't remember what else they shipped this year, but you know, it's a, Oh death. Okay. Yeah. I guess death
0: loop counts in some potential weird way. Not really, but, um,
1: yeah, I don't know. It it feels, it feels bad, man. Um, Eric writes in from the Netherlands with a question about a very old, Video franchise.
0: Hey Jeff, what did you think of Tournament TV back in the day? This was a Rich Gallop idea, if I remember correctly, back on GameSpot, and uh, Tournament TV was designed to be esports for regular people. Even back then, in the mid two thousands, early two thousands, whatever it was, the the competitive gaming stuff had a kind of toxic gross taste to it and so the idea was hey what uh what if we built a show for people to to compete in video games but they were just like regular people and uh not weird sponsored dudes which the weird sponsored dudes have only gotten weirder and more sponsored as the years have gone on um because back then it was like the MLG stuff and just like all the, yeah, all the esports stuff. For as sleazy as esports seems these days, can you imagine a world where it seemed somehow sleazier? Might I recommend 20 years ago? Um, Because Jesus stuff just seemed like, like you talk about, hey, you talk about knowing who the guy at the party who was holding cocaine
1: was. Let me talk to you about Esports. Then, now, forever. Yuck. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) back to Eric's question. What
0: did you think of tournament TV back in the day? Was there ever a notion of it becoming a bigger thing? It seems to have its modern-day counterpart counterpart in actual esports competition, but the laid-back presentation of you guys and the merely good performances on display felt more authentic to how most players actually play an ultra sweaty esports competitors yeah that was that was by design and it was it was a reaction to what esports was even then um you know to to put on a, a competitive thing and and you know i think if it had gotten big enough we would have run into ringers we would have run into people being like no i'm not an esports guy coming in and like winning and then just being like i'm a truck driver isn't this crazy i can't believe i won yay um Tournament TV was a really fun and pure idea that then got corrupted by the sales department and it turned into something that we didn't want to do anymore. But then suddenly we were signed up to keep doing it. And we wanted to choose the games. We wanted to make sure, because you you know you can find games that spectate well, that you can like, okay, we need a spectator mode. We need some way to watch these things. We need some way to present this in a way that looks good. And then eventually the, the sales team came in and said, hey, we sold a sponsorship for Tournament TV to this game, so you're going to do a tournament for this game. And then Jody Robinson, who was doing Community at the time, would have to go off and try to find a way to make a tournament work with this game and sometimes come back and be like, there's really no good way to do this. And we're like, well, I guess we're stuck doing it. And so it fucking ruined it. Um. You know, if they had been sponsors of like, hey, you know, this, this maker of trash compactors wants to come in and sponsor your show or, hey, this, you know, hey, do you, do you want Mountain Dew to sponsor? Like, sure, of course, absolutely. Why not? But actually getting the games that were being played be sponsored on the show with no regard given to will this actually make for an interesting and watchable show turn the whole thing into a lot more work than it was worth. And, uh, it was very frustrating, uh, there at a time I not less so for me than I I think it was for like Jody and and rich and some of those people, but, um, but yeah, that was always the goal was to have a competitive, a a series of competitive video games for normal people. And it was super fun to to do that stuff and to try to be a half-assed sports commentator was a lot of fun as well. Um, Tom from Utah, formerly Tom from Iowa, writes in and says, How much do you remember from the video game crash of 1983? Since I was six at the time, I was far too young to be aware of anything resembling gaming news or market trends. All I remember was that E.T. was a nearly unplayable game. I didn't really think much about game availability at the time, but definitely transitioned more to Apple IIc games for a couple of years until the fateful day I came across a Target newspaper with the NES... The rest is history. So I was eight when this happened. So I was not that much older than than you, Tom. Um, But yeah, the... um, the, You know, for the the video game crash just felt like, oh, I guess the Atari 2600 has run its course and now there's a new platform out and it's the Atari 5200 and it sucks. Um, (laughs) You know? And uh, arcades kind of went through a transition there, but like computers became the thing we've talked about this before, but like the, I had an Atari 400 and an Atari 800 eventually, and games still felt like they were coming out for computers. And the arcade scene was still sort of happening. Arcades went through a change from like 83 to 85 or 86. um, As as that market started to transition and, and, and as the, the fad aspects of video games started to fade away, they went for more quarter grabby techniques with like games where you could continue and like, oh, what if I put another quarter into this and I could continue? That'd be cool. Or like, um, Super Sprint or like, was it was it Ivan was it off road racing Ivan Ironman Stewart that you could just like put a billion quarters in it and upgrade your truck all the way out of the gate if you really wanted to. Um, they just found new ways to go. Like, oh, what if we? Or like Double Dragon 3 had a weird system where it's like... Put in a quarter and you can buy an upgrade for your kick. And it's like weird shit like that. As they tried to find new ways to extract money from you. Um, and of course, Gauntlet came out in 85 and... 85? I would say 85. And that thing is just a... Like your health ticks down even as you're standing there. Just like real life. And the quarters just translate into food. My arcade did a thing where... Uh, on weekends, they would let you sign up to play Gauntlet for a length of time. You could, be, you could rent the Gauntlet machine for like 20 bucks an hour, I think is what it was. And uh, and then just play it. And my dad and I did that once. And then I never paid money to play Gauntlet ever again. <laughs> um but yes, computers filled the gap in, until the NES came out. And the thing to remember, because it, it, it doesn't feel like this in my head. But remember that the video game, the thing we call the video game crash of 1983. Remember that like as that was happening in the US. Um, the Famicom came out in Japan in July of 1983. So as, as that market was falling apart in the States, uh, things in Japan were already in motion to bring it back and it would be two years, three years really, uh, for a nationwide rollout, um, for console gaming to come back in a major way in the U S you think about it when you, when you talk about this stuff as like, Oh my God, the, the, The whole market disappeared, and then no one wanted to touch video games. And you're like, actually, no. The U.S. market got weird because the Atari stuff fell apart, because Atari was an incredibly poorly run company. And when Warner owned it and all this other stuff, like Atari was run incredibly fucking poorly there at the end. The calls they made around how many ET carts to produce, like, that's real, That, that shit crashed, that shit was bad. But arcades went through this weird slump, where it's just like, uh, this shit ain't hitting. Probably partially, in fact, to people were getting fed up with bad games at home. You know, that probably was a factor, right? Of like, all these really shitty 2600 games were coming out. And people were like, man, fucking fuck video games. And so they didn't go out to arcades as much. And so the arcade market changed and, and all that sort of stuff. But if you were still serious about playing video games, they were everywhere. They were still, like, arcades didn't, you know, my arcade didn't go under, I was still going to arcades through 84, 85, 86, like all, like all, you know, up until the nineties. Um, but you know, the computer market became where games were happening and, and you had deeper, more engaging computer games than you saw on like that, the, the range of consoles that was available at the time. And that stuff just changed. Meanwhile, around the world, you had all this other stuff happening, right? You know, in in the UK, you had the Spectrum taking up a lot of time, the MSX taking up a lot of time in a lot of places outside the US. And of course, in Japan, 1983 was literally the year the Famicom came out. So, it was really just a factor of like, US retail took a weird beating because Atari was a shitty company. And so they got a little skittish about video games for, like what, two Christmases, maybe three. And by the time 85 rolled around,
1: They were ready to test market the NES in major markets. And then through 86, it all happened again. So when
0: you really pick it apart, it's not this catastrophe. Even in the U S it never felt that way to me. It really just felt like, like, I think when you look back at it, it's just like, yeah, no Atari sucks. Atari completely fucking sucks at running a business and they sold it and they, different people owned it and all, you know, that stuff's all super well documented.
1: At this point, but, um, but yeah, let's see here. Uh, Ben writes in, we, I, I kind of, maybe I already answered this, honestly, Ben in Boston writes
0: in, since starting your new thing this year, what has changed about the access to games and companies that you get for preview and coverage? Are any aspects easier or more difficult? Anything that surprised you? I honestly thought it was going to be kind of more difficult to reach out to companies. And this is this is more of a me thing. This is, this is probably tied into some kind of fucking imposter syndrome, whatever you want to call it, type of stuff. But there was a part of me that was just like, man, I got to reach out and contact companies all over again and give them my new contact details. And are they going to care about what I'm doing. You know, they, is it going to matter? Like all this sort of stuff. And
1: um, it has not been a problem.
0: I've been doing this for a lot of years. And um, yeah, so, you know, contacting companies, all that sort of stuff, like people people were ready to be like, oh yeah, what do you need? know, in, in a way that like, honestly, in the early going for this stuff was a really big, load off my mind in terms of just like, okay, this is, we're going to be fine. This is going to be fine. I'm going to continue to do, uh, the stuff that, uh, I am known for doing. I don't think this is going to be a problem. There was, there was, uh, I'll leave the names out of it, but there was an interaction I had when I went to Keeley's, uh, the, the summer games fest in June that the Jeff Keeley put on when I went to that event. um, that I had literally been planning to go to as a part of my old job and then suddenly was not. And so I had to then replan it as like, now I'm going by myself. Can I? And everyone was like, of course, of course you can. Yes, of course. Um, And so Keely uh, was probably one of the first person that made me feel very welcome as continuing to do this, which again, I, you know, maybe sounds crazy to some people because I've been doing this for so long and all this other stuff, but like, uh, you know, it's a weird thing to to have happen, right? Where you're like, oh shit. Like I'm kind of starting from scratch and I'm kind of doing it on the run. Um, it was something that I like I, I was like, oh, uh, you know, maybe I'll do this in three or four weeks, and then suddenly it was like, Oh, I
1: guess this is happening right now. Okay. Shit. Um So um
0: and then when I got there, I went to go see a game and um, the, the person who had, who was there handling PR is someone I've, you know, known and, and, you know, you know, a lot of people across it, but it doesn't mean you like are are talking to them on a constant basis. This was someone obviously between the pandemic and just like not getting out, you know, as as much like, you know, this was someone I probably hadn't seen in like four years, three years. Uh, and I saw him and, and just started and he's like, man, what the fuck happened? And, like I kind of told him the story and, you know, and and. And he was like, "Well, fucking whatever you need, man. This whole industry has your back." And I was like, "Oh, hey, huh.
1: I guess you're kind of right. It was it was um nice. Not to be emotional about it, but it was, again, at a time at a
0: time that felt very fragile or felt felt very like, "Fuck, man, what the fuck just happened? Holy
1: shit." Um So, you know, oh, look. All right. So here, so the thing that
0: happened in, in broad strokes, um, is that I got fired three weeks before I was going to quit. (laughs) Um, and that's why a lot of this is so fucking has been very murky for the last several months is because that stuff's been really weird. Um, because at one point I had an offer to go somewhere else and then I was like, I don't think that's going to be the right move, which I think it ended up not being the right move. Um, and all this other stuff. And so I was like trying to find a reason to stay at my current position. And, um, at some point they just said like, basically like, yeah, how about instead you wrap it the fuck up? And I was like, oh word. Okay. All right. Um, and so, uh, so I was planning to get to the other side of the E3 stuff and be like, okay, cool. I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to go do my own thing. And, um, and not do this anymore because I don't want to do this here. And um, I don't know what happened ahead of that. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know how this happened in the order that it did. Um, but yeah, when I say I was planning to go to Keeley's thing as a part of my old job, I like was getting ready to start making appointments. And then suddenly it was like, oh, I guess I'm not going to respond to any of those emails ever again. Like, oh, huh. All right. And so it was a very weird thing uh, that was in, you know, it was like, you know, there are, are there aspects of that? that I will be angry about for a very long time. Um, and, but it was just a, yeah, I don't know. It's a bad fucking fit at the end of the day, just a bad fucking fit. And, uh, I gave it time to try to make it work and it didn't. So, you know, whatever. So, but like I said, this was all a few weeks before I was planning to just go anyway. And I was like, whatever, man, like I'll, I'll get out and do my own thing. I'm, I'm, I'm confident about it. I think it'll go really great. Like, you know, I think it'll be, you know, I'll be happier. It'll be all this other stuff. And then, you know, all that stuff just kind of happened. And I was like, Oh, weird. Um, so yeah, just a, a fucking crazy bit of timing and all this other stuff. And, and I, yeah, I don't know. I, I still don't really know what, happens, but, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it was a, like I said, when I say it was a fragile moment, that's why. Cause it was just like, what the fuck is, ha- what is going on? Shit, man. But at the same time, like, yeah, I, you know, uh, the writing had been on the wall for some time that the things
1: that I wanted to do with a video game publication were not going to happen there. So it is what it is. Um So let's see here. Um Tony from Arizona writes in and says, "I'm out in
0: Peru for a wedding. And going to a local corner store, I heard them bumping Limp Biscuit when I first walked in. I laughed thinking, wow, I traveled over hundreds of miles and this is what I hear. Then when I get to the counter, I noticed the kid behind it was this alternative kid with a Metallica shirt rocking out to Limp Biscuit." And in that moment I realized to him it's just a song he isn't tainted by knowing how bad it is or all that surrounds it he had bliss and that was nice to see in the world even for a moment but also wow limp biscuit does suck yeah it's weird when you, you know you you remove context um when you remove context from all of this music uh it's a um it's funny, especially after a, an amount of time and you have people just come maybe like coming to this music decades later without all the bullshit that came along with like what Limp Bizkit was when Limp Bizkit was big and Fred Durst doing interviews. And he's like, I'm dating Britney Spears. And Eminem this. And we're fighting about this and all the other stupid shit uh, when when it gets removed from the pop culture aspects of it and and end up in a different country, even a different language. It's funny that how once a lot of that context is lost, you can be like, yeah, no, this shit's okay. I think that's what led to me being like, okay with Limp Biscuit over the last year or so. Right. It's this thing of just like, huh? Yeah. uh, That was a really shitty time in pop culture for sure. Um, And removed from that, it's like, yeah, these songs kind of go, this this song kind of, all right.
1: Um, And, and so, yeah, it's a, it's interesting how, how time can, can do that. Uh, let's see. I, got, I somehow got lost from... You know, I'm probably not the right person to ask for this.
0: Aaron from a town near Boston says, with the recent showcase for new Silent Hill and Resident Evil content, I thought about the state of horror in video games. Do you feel that video games with horror lately are too scary or not enough? Is horror in video games subjective and difficult to create like comedy in games? Or can it be as easy as inserting a well-timed jump scare or creepy monster thing and calling it a day? I would love to hear what you think about this one. I, I think it's it's all very subjective. I think that jump scares are probably the easiest thing to do, right? Because you can be like, I'm walking down this quiet tunnel and oh my god, a big monster dog. Or whatever. Um, But jump scares, I, I think... By and large, I think people that like horror video games really look down on jump scares. Um, And so they want something maybe a little bit more cerebral, something that is a little bit more, uh, I guess, a little bit creepy, right? Um, And... I think that's probably a lot harder to do. That's where it gets into timing and, and and yeah, like sort of like how comedy can be very difficult to do in a video game. Um, Horror is, is probably pretty difficult to do as well, but I just don't care about horror that much. I think that's the, the thing for me is like, I just, it doesn't move me like, Hey, look at this creepy thing. Hey, here's the jump scare. Look at this crazy monster. Like a lot of that stuff for me has, very limited effects and a lot of it's because a lot of the tropes have been overused right I mean we've been on a real run for zombies in games over the last 50 years no I don't know but like but like really the last 15 years or so right it feels like zombies just kind of came back as this very safe video game antagonist um whether it was call of duty or, you know, or resident evil, it was just like, ah, shove some zombies in there because we can get away with it because zombies are supposed to be stupid. So it doesn't matter that the AI is bad. Uh, you know, that sort of stuff. And, and I just feel like, uh, yeah, a lot of zombie stuff really got done to death. And, uh, that's where I really soured on it in games across the board. But that said, I was never a resident evil fan. I, I, I don't understand why anyone would like silent hill, um, from what I've played of it, which I will grant you is not all of it, but it's just like, uh, like silent hill always felt like Konami wanted to get some of that resident evil money. And, uh, and they did, you know, so that, that's why when they're announcing three or four Silent hill games, I'm like, fucking why? What? I guess again, they probably saw like, Oh, resident evil's back. I guess maybe there's money in this again. (laughs) um, but, yeah, I don't know. That stuff's just never, you know, like, I, I liked Alone in the Dark 1. When it comes to to that sort of stuff, I guess. Like, I thought Alone in the Dark was a really cool game in its day. Do I think it needs to be rebooted? Do I think that all those sequels were warranted? All that stuff? Like, eh. I could take them or leave them. Mostly leave them. But, Alone in the Dark 1, the camera perspective, all that stuff very, felt very inventive in its day. To the point that when Resident Evil came out, I looked at it and i like, oh, it's like Alone in the Dark. Huh, weird. And so even Resident Evil never felt like some big, like, oh my god, have you ever seen a video game like this? I'm like, yes, I have. It's called Alone in the Dark. You should check it out. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I think that... Um, Visual fidelity being what it is, obviously creates a situation where, uh, you know, you can make creepier looking shit, right? You can, you can really show it all, um, and, and make it look hellish and, you know, scorn is out there doing that right now, I guess. Right. Uh, with it's not that I guess that's not so much a horror game as it is just incredibly creepy, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I If I were to make... a, I, I don't know what I would do to make a horror game other than have to go study up on a lot of films and and stuff of that nature to try to figure it out because it's just not something I engage with in any form, really. Horror movies, like all that. It's just... You know, I understand they've gotten better. They're more complex. Oh, my God. They're telling the story. Like, it's just, you know, that stuff has just never really done anything for me. So it, it's just like whether it's in games, interactive or non-interactive, that stuff is just not really mattered. Um, all right. Evan writes in with a real horror story. Evan's from Texas, and he says, like many people, sometimes I do things that I think will be funny or spark a funny story. And then those things come to haunt me in some way down the road. So true. As you may recall in early September, Randy Pitchford put some of his worn shirts online in an auction to raise money for a scholarship fund. I checked out the blind bid auction and many of the shirts had two or three bids already and were valued at $400 each. So I felt pretty safe to make a few small bids to say that I did. Maybe I'd be able to see what they ended up selling for and laugh about how someone spent money on Pitchford's used shirts. Well, Jeff, I am one of those people. I won both bids spending around $30 on a pair of Randy Pitchford's used shirts. After some emailing with Gearbox's PR department, a nondescript FedEx box with no notes, invoice, or any type of certificate of authenticity arrived. The two shirts pictured below were neatly folded inside. A dry cleaning tag on the collar makes me believe they were recently cleaned. My question is, what should I do with these magical, industry defining shirts? My best idea was to apply for a job at the not-too-far-from-me Gearbox software and arrive for the interview in one of the shirts. Thanks for any advice. Man. Oh, okay. And you you have outed yourself on the Discord by posting the picture of the shirts that you sent me. Um... Evan, these shirts look very fuzzy. Oh, I'm sorry. No, the, now that I'm zoomed in on them, that is just the pattern. They are not, in fact, terry cloth. Um, yeah, these look like some these looks like some Randy Pitchford ass shirts. Uh, I would say put them on and learn some card forces and other silly magic tricks, or put them on and then just get really into saying the words hobby grade.
1: I don't
0: know. I don't know. You but you have those now and you can't do it. You you know, it's not like you can just give them away or throw them away. They have a legacy now. You're stuck with those shirts. You have to like find someone who will take them off your hands to like rid you of the curse or like I, I don't I don't know what I don't know, but it's not like you can just like go donate them to goodwill and, and have them out of your life. That would feel wrong somehow because there's a legacy attached to these shirts. And
1: um, I I wish you the best of luck. Um, Brandon writes in and says, when watching your Twitch stream of Gotham Knights, my thoughts went to
0: last year's flawed but enjoyable game Outriders. Both games had launches in a quiet period with just not a lot of new releases. Mm, I don't know if I agree with that. Do you think Warner Brothers just decided to cut their perceived development losses and shipped the game as is and hoped to catch fire like
1: Outriders did? Keep up the great work. Um, I, I don't think Outriders really caught fire.
0: I mean, it, it did. It did probably did better than they anticipated. Also, I don't think Gotham Knights shipped in a quiet period. You know, like Bayonetta is out this week. Call of Duty is out this week. Like, like the, the, this is big games are are coming out around around right now, you know. Uh people are already talking about God of War like, you know, there there's just this is a very high traffic period uh for new releases. So Gotham Knights is kind of like coming out in the in the at the early part of that, if not the middle of it, and um and I think it'll be very easy to overlook as a result. Uh if it had come out in a quieter period, it may have done better, but also Outriders is a loot game. A, a well-done loot game. Gotham Knights is not a well-done loot game. It is... There, there's loot in it, but it doesn't seem like it is a main function of why you're playing and all this other stuff the way it is in Outriders. And so... Gotham Knights feels like a story game that you finish, and I'm sure there's some kind of endgame thing that they want to be repeatable because there's aspects of it that are presented as if it is meant to be a replayable loot game which honestly makes me wonder if the end game loot in Gotham Knights is actually better and more differentiated and more interesting. It's hard for me to believe that there would be a, a world where the end game loop looped in Gotham Knights is actually interesting enough to make you want to keep playing it. But I don't have the answer to that one way or the other right now. So, so I don't know. Um, But yeah, I don't know that I agree that it fits in the same slot as Outriders did. I think Outriders is a better game that executes better on the things it's attempting to accomplish uh, around being a loot game and all that sort of stuff. I don't think Gotham Knights is as successful at meeting those goals. Um, Neil in Arizona writes, and says, I guess I should have intuited this by now, but I'm curious. How much time on average do you spend each week engaging with video games? How much is for work versus your own enjoyment? Do you schedule it out days in advance? it's it's it is still very ramshackle um in ways it probably shouldn't be to be honest but um as i said before like you know there are there are aspects of of this operation that i've been planning out one way or another for years and then aspects of it that i had to plan out in about 2 weeks and so um you know there there was very much a hit the ground running like let's get out there and and start making it happen and see where we go and it's it's going great and it's been a lot of fun. Um, it is, it is a lot of like, like getting COVID was fucking scary for a lot of reasons, right? A, cause it's fucking COVID, but also it is that thing of like, man, I am completely solo here. And if I am sick for this chunk of time, absolutely nothing is happening. Emails are not getting responded to. I'm not, you know, there's just like a ton of stuff. Like I finally wrote back to like nine people last night. Um, that I, you know, I'm I'm like finally like digging myself out of that hole that, that, that time, that time away kind of caused, And, uh, and so that stuff is really fucking crazy, you know? And, um, and it's the stuff that I look at and go like, okay, I need to figure out what different plans around, um, how to account for these situations so that there is still, what, what are the things I can do to continue having like a steady flow of, of things for people to engage with and enjoy. Hopefully. Um, even if I'm sick and it's not just if I'm sick, because there are going to be times like it's already come up uh, and I don't know what will come up, but there's just like, Hey, uh, you want to come out to the UK and see this thing or do, you know, Hey, we're having this event here. Do you want to come to uh, the Bay area for a day and a half? Um, and, uh, and come up here and, and, and see games and do this sort of stuff. And so there's an aspect of just like, okay, well, like, Tuesdays are probably off the fucking books because I don't want to miss a podcast. I don't, I don't like missing podcasts. Uh, the other stuff I I'll say is, is much more in flux. Like if something comes up and I can't stream on a Friday or something like that, I look at that and go like, Hey, you know, that's going to happen from time to time, but I want to hit the podcast every week for a handful of reasons, you know, business and otherwise it's a point of pride. I think on some level of just like, Hey, I want to. I want to be there for people, I guess is part of that part of the drive there. Um, I I don't know. Um, and I just like doing the show, so I hate missing the show. Um, but on average, you know, like, uh, what is it like, you know, this show is usually about three hours. Then I stream Wednesday and Friday for about three hours a piece. And then I'm trying to play games whenever I can with kids. That is sometimes difficult, but, uh, generally after hours like after the kids go to sleep um, you know after five something like that then that's when I can read emails and respond to them and finally try to catch up on some games and like all of my Gotham night's time was put in after the kids were asleep basically you know um, <clears throat> and so um, I it, it's all work and it's all enjoyment at the end of the day right like breaking it up that way doesn't make a ton of sense because like sometimes I stream old games. So if I'm spending time emulating weird shit, sometimes that's like, Oh, I should make a note of this thing and, and, and maybe stream some of it later and stuff like that. So, but that's, that's how it's always been for me. Um, for as bad, as long as I have been doing this, like it's, I am, I'm not going to say that burnout isn't real and that burnout can't happen. Um, but burnout is rarely a factor of the games themselves and playing the games it's usually the external factors of just like boy I sure did get stuck in a bunch of very meaningless unmoving meetings this week uh you know like like those sorts of things were the the drag right so um So, yeah, I don't know, like for me, like the, and it's, it's, I think why I was able to work as a reviewer for a very long time, um, is because I, I just, I like playing video games. Uh, so, you know, the, the work part of it versus my own enjoyment part of it blurred in a way that is probably extremely unhealthy. Um, but that's that's how it's always been for me that's how i've always thought of it. it is just like well whatever i you know i i like doing this stuff to an extent the worst games to play are the middle of the road games like the in some ways it's it's you know the the gotham knights of the world the the games that would get a mid six they're not bad enough to be entertainingly bad they're not good enough to be actually good it's just like here's this Plain yoga. Here's this, here's a, here's cottage cheese in video game form. Knock
1: yourself out. Um, like those are the worst games. Um, because they're not, they're just not fun in, in any
0: way, shape or form, right? It's just like the, those are the ones that are an absolute chore to get through. Those are the ones, those are the assignments, uh, back in the day that were always the most frustrating, because you're just like, this is just time. Like, I know what this game is. I could tell you everything you need to know about this game right now. But I have to finish it so I can write this review. And so I have to spend another eight hours slogging my way through this bullshit. Um, <clears throat> that was always the most frustrating stuff. So, I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's you know, I I don't, I never split it up in terms of like hours of work versus own enjoyment when it comes to the actual playing of the games but it is a factor and honestly it's a thing that like it's really hard at big companies to get management to understand sometimes is like uh oh why aren't there more video like cuz i have to play these fucking games like i can't do a podcast and like have meaningful things to say about video games on it unless i am doing the work and a lot of that work ends up being effectively invisible but it is the way of things <laughs> um and um, well, whatever, I'll leave it there. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, yeah, you know, like you, you got to put in the time to, to be able to do this, right? Like if I didn't spend, it and then, you know, I, so there's always a part of me that's just like, I wish I had more time to play games. You know, I wish I, like I said, I, I wish I. Had more time to put in that full, you know, get through those first five hours of God of War and all other stuff. And, you know, like, that's kind of the the goal I'd like, where I'd like to get to with what we're doing here. Which, of course, you know, hey, if you want to support this, you can go to patreon.com slash Jeff Gerstman. And, um, and keep this weird thing afloat. Keep it, keep it charging forward. But the, you know, the, the, I, I want to get back to a place where I'm working with, uh, other people on a more regular basis um, and, and all that sort of stuff and, and be able to talk to them about the games they have been playing as well. <laughs> you know um, when you were the only person playing the games, which I have been in numerous situations over the years, which can be frustrating. Um, then you're the one putting in all of those hours on all sides of the equation. And um, yeah, you know, it, it's uh, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. It's a weird fucking thing, but like, you know, but, but again, like I, I don't view it as, as work as much as I probably should. And as much as I need to be better about carving out, like, this is the time for me to be playing games and this is a work thing. And this is, you know, it's very easy to feel guilty about aspects of the job. Um, especially when, you know, back in the day, the number of like social things I would bail on for work. Um, like that happened a lot. Like there were just, there were a lot of just like, Oh, well I'm not, um, I'm not going out on this date. I'm canceling this date because Tony Hawk, sh- I literally Tony Hawk's underground showed up and I
1: bailed on a Halloween date to review thug. I think it was thug one. Um, that said, thug one way better than that date would have been.
0: I'm fairly sure of it. Cause that's a hell of a video game. <laughs> um, but you know, whatever, like it's, it's easy to, you know, I, I, again, I have a ton of different stories like that about like, Oh, like, well, what the other big one is like, I, uh, my girlfriend at the time was really pissed that I, uh, was suddenly going to fly to New York and be on good morning America. um, she was like mad in a, like a, a way that like lacked understand. Like, it was just, I, I, I couldn't, it was like, I couldn't make her understand. Like, like I'm going to go be on national television to talk about the Dreamcast And, uh, and it all came together like the day before, like it was like the afternoon before I had to basically go home, change clothes and then drive to the airport and jump on a plane. And so in the middle of all that, I had to call her and be like, Hey, I know we had dinner plans tonight. I cannot make it. I'm going to New York. Um, to go be on fucking Good Morning America and do all this cr- this crazy opportunity, and and she was very much like not having it, and it was just like ah,
1: this is clearly a relationship I don't need to be in. Um, but whatever. It, there's a lot of
0: dumb stories like that along the way. Um, of like it's the way we used to do this job. And I don't think people should do this job that way anymore. Obviously, you know, uh, uh, there are going to be conflicts in scheduling all the time in any job. But the way we did this back then, and I talk about the, the GameSpot days and, and how, we, how we were living it. You talk about living the gimmick. Right. I mean, it was like, you didn't have time to do anything else. There were so many games coming out. You had the next review assignment next, this and that. Like it it was, it was all encompassing in a way that like after what happened to me and I was out of, I was out of there was this like realization of just like, man, I gave, I gave that company the entirety of my twenties. Um, I was like 32, 31, 32. When, when I was out of game spot, And it was this realization of just like my entire, like a a 11 years of my life, I devoted to this. And it's hard to be truly mad at that because I don't think if I had not done that, I don't think anything that followed would have happened and I would not be here in front of you today. Right. There's a benefit to that, right? There's a benefit to the like, this is my job. This is my life. Like all that other shit, but like it can't be that way. It's not sustainable. It's not healthy. Um, People shouldn't have to do that to get ahead.
1: It's, uh, it's, it's bad. Um, but, uh, you know, I gave that company 11 years
0: of my life and then they said like, get the fuck out of here, <laughs> get your shit and go. And, uh, over some bullshit. And, and so it was very, you know, back then that was 2007 when all that stuff happened. Um, it was very much this moment of just like sitting there going like, God damn, man, I, why did I, why did I do this for them? Why did I do this for this company that never truly valued me? And I, and I carried that with me up and, you know, it's, it's, it's a relevant topic, I guess, in recent history too. But like, I think there's, um, it's why when, when we started the next thing, when I was going into the next thing, we had Dave on a couple of weeks ago, but like the one of the things I said early on that made me feel a lot better about the whole thing and, and they, they were good about it is I said like, Hey, um, as we're starting this thing, I want to own some of it because I don't want this to ever happen again. Um, you know, it was all very fresh at the time still. And I was like, I don't want, I don't want someone to just show up and fire me again. I want to have, some piece of this. And so, you know, I, I, I did have some small piece of ownership. It was not, you know, cause I wasn't showing up with money. Right. So like, that's the thing that gets you the ownership stake, right. Is like, I'm funding this thing. I was not funding this thing. I was bringing my good name to it and that's worth something. And it turned out to be worth enough in this case to where I was like, okay, like I, I have, I have a real stake in this one way or the other to make sure it, it goes a certain way.
1: And, um, And, and yeah, that ended up working until it didn't, right? um, but, uh, but
0: yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a thing of like, uh, if you're working for somebody else, make sure you're being valued properly. Make sure you're, if you don't feel you're being valued properly and that's not, that's not even monetarily that there's so much more to that. Um, I think you got to think about like, why are you there? Why are you doing it? What are you, what are you trying to accomplish? What's the next step? Are you going to be able to accomplish your next step in this position at this company, at this, at that? And you know, those are the questions that kept coming up time and time again over the last three years. It was just like, you're checking off more boxes. It's just like, no, I, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see this. Mm-mm. There, there's no shared vision here. There's no, the support well, you know, whatever I, I won't get into too much detail here. Cause I don't, I don't think I can, I don't know who owns what anymore over there. Fucking whatever. Um, but yeah, th- that was my, th- that was what I wanted to make sure that that stuff couldn't happen again, <laughs> which is ironic given what I was talking about earlier. Um, but, uh, it made it all make sense. It made the hours make sense in a way that was, uh, almost worse in some ways, right? Where you're like, okay, now I own a piece of this. And so now I'm going to devote my 30s to this. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, it was a a question from JB came in a couple weeks ago, actually saying, uh, I noticed last week you mentioned you were an employee of Giant Bomb LLC and not Whiskey Media. What exactly was the situation there? Were the founding managers of each site given an ownership stake in your respective sites as part of your contracts? Or did you actually put up money? Blah, 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 blah. Um, I think I mostly answered that. I can only really speak for myself. I know that uh, I was not the only person with an ownership stake uh, in in that site specifically, I don't know how the other sites handled any of that business. I don't know what the, the situation was there. Um, so, so I don't actually know, uh, the, the actual answer to that question, but, uh, did you have any sort of voting interest in the decision to sell to CBS? I wouldn't call it a voting interest, but like, I'll put it to you this way. If I had been like, absolutely not, uh, I'm not going to do that then they would not have been able to sell it to that company because what are you buying? If you're not getting the people that made it what it was, right? If, uh, if the four, if the five of us, I get, well, six, Patrick, six of us, right? Um, Drew and uh, if that group of us had been like, now we're not into it and we're going to leave and go get other jobs. And that thing's just dead, right? So um, so they, they did ask me, uh, you know, like, hey, would you be okay? Like, early on in the process, uh, they were like, hey, uh, would you be okay if we talked to CBS, if we talked to GameSpot? And I just fucking laughed and said, go for it. <laughs> like, that's hilarious. That's fucking stupid. Like, of course, go for it. That's the, resi- that's of course, we'll sell it back to them after all this time. What, what, it couldn't get any weirder. Like, yeah, yeah, sure. Um And so, you know, it ended up going that way and, uh, you know, and then at that point, like I had no ownership stake in it. Like I was a contract player, like all that other stuff. And, and so, you know, at that point, the ownership end of the story is gone. So, um, you know, it becomes a very different relationship with managers and all that other stuff all over again. And, uh, that works until it doesn't. Aha.
1: And here we are. I think that's going to do it for questions. (laughs) Um... This week, Um,
0: but uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, uh, let's see. Yeah, we answered that one. We answered that one in kind of a roundabout way. And uh, that one we're going to pass on. Davis from Syracuse wants to know, what game would benefit the most from the addition of a spread needle? If you could put a spread needle in any game, what game would you pick and why? Hmm. If you think about it, Fantasy Star Online is the perfect game for a spread needle because Fantasy Star Online is a game that valued, like, you had to tag every enemy. You had to do damage to an enemy in order for you to earn experience points from it dying. And so it was great to be able to walk into a room, fire the spread needle once, which was, if you are not familiar with it, is like a spread shot, like Contra kind of just big blast that would hit every single enemy in a room. And so you just walk into the room, fire it once, hit every single enemy once, and then who no matter who in your party killed it, you would still get uh XP credit for for doing so. And um And so th- that is the perfect situation, right? Where you're like, "Oh, like well, I don't need to kill everything, but I do need to put a little bit of damage on everything in order to uh in order to get credit for it." Uh and so Uh, PSO is the perfect game for that spread needle because of the way it was structured. What other game would benefit the most from it? I don't know. You know, Hey, spread shots are, uh, of high value just about anywhere. As long as it's got the right range, as long as it's got the right, uh, uh, damage, all that sort of stuff. There are a lot of bad shotguns in video games, a lot of bad shotguns in video games. Um, but the spread needle, yeah, I think it's best served in a, in a situation where you need to hit every target once in order to get credit for it and so p s o is the ultimate is it is the actual and the ultimate realization of uh of of that. and I wonder if if does p s o two have a spread needle yet? I bet it doesn't. They should put one in the game doesn't do XP that way anymore. The new one doesn't handle XP that way. So you wouldn't necessarily need it for that benefit. But I just think as a, as a good throwback, I think that would be a really cool thing to have in there. But, um, yeah, I I feel like those types of action RPGs where you're just like, here's another room full of assholes. Um, like that's, that's always the most fun. So anyway, that's going to do it for us. Uh, head on over to what, what is it? Uh, go to, go to enjoy or, Dopeassvideogames or patreon.com slash Jeff Gersman to back the broadcast and and keep us keep it pumping keep it pumping out of here keep this keep this whole aglowing I don't know what the fuck am I even saying um yes uh keep everything uh keeping on and and all that sort of stuff uh it's been like I said it's been seriously fun over here I want to thank everyone for uh for for backing. The broadcast. Bryn is is showing me a, a image of the spread needle in PSO two. Awesome.
1: Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. It's a fourteen star weapon. Crazy. Um.
0: Yes. No. Th- thank you all for keeping things going, uh, and and all this stuff, and and keeping this r- crazy fucking ship afloat, and uh, and supporting me through. All of this fucking wild shit. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so the let's see what else is going on here. Obviously, I'm going to keep playing some God of War. Call of Duty multiplayer will hit this week, and I do want to see some of that. Um, Halloween is also happening, so we're going to do some stuff with my daughter, and I'm going to dress up like Kristoff, so I'll, I'll be out handling that. I don't know what days those are going to happen, so but yeah, the you know, probably be here Wednesday. Probably be here Friday. Uh, if not, I'll I'll post some updates on the Discord um, about where I'm going to be and when, and and all of that sort of stuff. Um, I've got a handful of other video games that are not quite out yet that I need to spend a little bit of time with as well. Uh, and yeah, uh, the the new episode of Game Boys to Men that's a Patreon exclusive. You can uh, find out more details about how to get access to that. Again, at, at Patreon.com slash Jeff Gerstmann. Uh, the new episode of that was recorded yesterday. I've got to cut that together and hopefully have it for you over the next day or two. And uh, and get that out. That was a fun one. Uh, like, ostensibly talking about Street Fighter 2, but that's such a a wide range of years that it covers a lot of weird ground um, about us coming of age in a weird way, I suppose. And spreading our wings and exploring the Bay Area. Um. And, uh, of course, the new episode of Jeff Gersman Hall of Fame is available, uh, for Patreon backers, uh, on that tier as well. So give that a look. You want to get rid of the ads in this show? You can do that again. That's patreon.com slash Jeff Gersman. Thanks so much for hanging out. We back next Tuesday, of course, with another episode of this fucking thing and, uh, all that shit. So until then, have a good rest of your week. I'll see you when I see you. Bye.